Did you know that there is a Jeep that actually comes bulletproof off the showroom floor? Seriously, we're going to have all the details as to which one it is, how much it costs, and how to find it. We also find out why you would want to design a weak point into a Jeep build. It's not what you think. Don't forget to share the Jeep Talk Show with your friends. Just tell them to go to jeeptalkshow.com. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show with Wendy. There will be body damage. Jeep Mama. Are you sure? Josh. Yeah, I don't think so. And Tony. I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. You know it doesn't matter if you have a Jeep, want a Jeep, or never driven anything but Jeeps, this show's for you. Josh, Tammy, Wendy, and myself are here to inform and entertain you while we talk about... What is it? What is it? Jeeps. Definitely Surprise. not the Prius. You look stunned, Josh. You were like, what is this? <laughs> I, I, I was told there'd be no testing. <laughs> what show am, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> What podcast is it this week? Okay, here we go. Hey, I'm Josh, and one of these days, I'll be able to actually work on my own Jeep. Yeah, that's right. That'd be nice, huh? And howdy, it's Wendy, and I'm so lucky. My husband got one of his old ball joints replaced with a shiny new one, and I'm not talking about the Jeep. Oh, gosh, that's going to hurt. Hi, I'm Tony, and I'm turning over a new leaf. I promise to no longer blame the dog. (laughs) I swear it was the dog. Always the dog. <laughs> Local Jeep news, national Jeep news, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. And This Week in Jeep this week is brought to you by Microscopic Slivers. Want to learn how to do surgery on your own finger? Get a microscopic sliver of fiberglass or steel today. You'll get hours of interactive fun while you hunt, search, and dig at what seems to be nothing at all. Okay, so what do you do if you want to be a Jeeper, but your town is overrun with rioters and looters? Well, let me introduce you to Jeep's very own bulletproof production vehicle. That's right. I said bulletproof production vehicle. Unfortunately, it's only available in Mexico. Well, I guess it's time to cash in those sky miles, Dan. The bulletproof Grand Cherokee just hit a milestone, too. As of October 2nd, 2020, the automaker has built and sold 1,000 of these things. The body armor for these Grand Cherokees includes elements like ballistic steel perimeter caps that protect the upper part of the vehicle. The vehicle's glass is gone. Instead, there are multiple layers of polyvinyl with a total thickness of over three quarters of an inch or 19 millimeters. There are lots of other tank-like tweaks as well, like an anti-grenade bottom panel, fully armored engine compartment, windows and frame reinforcements, a strengthened suspension and run-flat tires. Jeep's armored Grand Cherokee adheres to the U.S. Department uh, Department of Justice's NIJIIIA level of protection. What that means for the layman is that in order to achieve this rating, the ballistic protection of the vehicle needs to be able to withstand five consecutive rounds of 44 Magnum from at least a five and a half inch barrel and five bullets from a nine millimeter submachine gun with a barrel of at least nine and a half inches long. In other words, this thing can basically withstand an armed attack from both Dirty Harry and John Wick simultaneously. (laughs) The Department of Justice describes this rating as being enough to guard against most handgun threats. The Jeep actually manufactures these Grand Cherokees here in the United States at the Jefferson North Assembly Plant in Detroit. However, they then go and are shipped off to Mexico where the horse where the horsepower and 390 feet pound of torque are added as well as the armoring process. The Jeep uses a 5.7 liter V8 and the only transmission available for these things is an 8-speed automatic transmission and uses the QuadraTac 2 active full-time four-wheel drive system. 
I guess that means with a beefed up suspension, this thing should still actually be pretty capable off-road. Inside, there are amenities like rich leather all around, an 8.4-inch infotainment display, or perfect for watching or hearing the Jeep talk show at least, and two-zone automatic climate control along with other creature comforts you would expect to come with the Grand Cherokee. So if you're like me and question the protective capabilities of your own vehicle as you drive through a city of <clears throat> peaceful protesters at night, then consider a bulletproof Grand Cherokee. Prices for the armored Jeep Grand Cherokee in Mexico start at a little over 1,850,000 pesos or about 86,500 at current exchange rates. And with as much as this thing has to weigh, I can't imagine it's going to be cheap to ship one back here to the U.S. either. That's providing customs doesn't want to have a look at your new daily driver either. Yeah, that, that was the question I have is, can you go down to Mexico, buy it, and bring it back to the U.S.? Or are they going to have restrictions yeah, on that? That's a really good question. And would they even know that it's any different of a vehicle as you drive across the border? Well, let's hope they're not using those mirrors on sticks to look underneath, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'd know in California, that's for sure. You, know, you ain't bringing that in yeah. here. No, the armor on that's known in the state of California to cause cancer. That's right. <laughs> I, I know a harp on this, but I'm so excited about the uh, Alon, the uh, transparent aluminum, because when that stuff hits, all the vehicles are going to have bulletproof glass. I mean, ray guns mm-hmm. will probably come out, so they, they it won't, it'll no longer oh, be right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> no longer be, the, be protected. Uh, the birth of but, energy weapons. Sure. But, but here but, we go. But just the just the glass on your on your uh, phone, you on your smartphone, not breaking anymore, would be really cool. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I heard like, you know, rumors of Gorilla Glass being used on vehicles, but uh, yeah, no, not, not so, so much. expensive. It's too expensive. Yeah, so expensive. All that other stuff. So, Well, we have our first glimpse of the production version of the Jeep Grand Wagoneer. Now, Jeep has been hard at work for some time now on these things, too. Lots of work has gone into not only designing, but building and now testing the new full-size Jeep SUVs. But I would say just as much work has gone into keeping these things as much of a secret as possible. That is until last week when head of Jim Morrison announced that the concept photos released by Jeep in early September were not concept photos at all, but actual representations of what we can expect to see on showroom floors next year. Since that announcement, tons of Grand Wagoneer news has been absolutely flooding the web. Once again, I've got to give credit to Spy Photogs at Car and Driver. These guys always seem to get the first shots of the new Jeeps out to the web first, and they've really done it again in spying a Grand Wagoneer in Paisley paint, you know, that camouflage paint, getting a run-through on city streets. So, is what Jim Morrison said true then? Well, when compared with the concept version of the full-sized SUV that Jeep showed in September, the production Jeep that we see in the spy photos looks nearly identical save for a couple of small things. First and foremost noticeable is the smaller wheels and tires. Now, you can't really tell the exact size in these spy photos, it's, but it's clear that the wheels and tires on the production test vehicle are nowhere near the massive 24 inches that we've seen on the Grand Wagoneer concept. It's possible Jeep will still offer some sort of a huge wheel option for production, of course, but you know more likely that most Wagoneers will have a more reasonable 20, 21, and 22-inch wheel options, at least from the factory and dealers. The smaller rolling stock also serves to attenuate the Wagoneer's boxy, tall body, especially from the rear. Some of the details are different that we saw from the photographs uh, earlier on in September as well, such as the grill shape and the headlights. But we were warned by Jim Morrison about the lighting elements getting a small change from what we saw in the concept pics, and we can see that here with a much more realistic headlight arrangement inside what is a slightly less dramatic-looking grill. 
Now, what we don't see is the fanciful teak accents inside the concept car's LED headlight fixtures, and the taillights are a bit more subdued as well. I mean, honestly, uh, just about everything is, is a little bit dialed back slightly, at least as far as the lighting accents go from the concept photos. Now, Jeep will offer both Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer variants of its new full-sized SUV, with the latter expected to be more luxurious, of course, in terms of trim and features. So who knows? Maybe we'll see those things, uh, those other styling elements from the concept integrated into the higher trim levels. Uh, this one was definitely not one of the high trim levels vehicles. Either way, both the Wagoneer and the Grand Wagoneer will ride on the same uh, Ram 1500 pickup body on frame architecture with the modifications including an independent rear suspension. The loss of the solid rear axle gives these larger SUVs the ability to offer three rows of seats, which will be standard across the board. The concept version allegedly had a plug-in hybrid powertrain as well, but we expect Jeep to offer a conventional V6 and V8 gas engines as well, likely the 3.6 liter V6 and 5.7 liter V8 units that are already found in the Ram. It would just be a natural fit considering the geometry is already there. Jeep has also finally announced pricing structures for the new lines after a very long wait and much debate. We already knew that the top of the line trim is going to run over the six-figure mark, and we're talking over $100,000. But entry-level trim will have buyers seeing a starting price at around $60,000. Aha! <laughs> I called it. I go back yep, to our right. last episode when uh, when I think I called out that figure precisely. You did. Well, we should know yeah, more did, about the uh, the production SUVs early next year as they are scheduled to start production in mid-2021 before going on sale shortly thereafter. Tell me more about the loss of the solid rear axle, uh, giving them more room for, for three seats. How how does that work? How does how do you get – do you have to put the, the – is the the differential up higher or, or lower or i mean you still have to have a different differential driving those those wheels right right it's it's certainly a much smaller design and with all the suspension being moved out a little bit further um not having to deal with uh, you know like four link uh connection you know all that other stuff that kind of gets uh, in the way okay and and you you need to have room for that axle as a whole to move up and down right. well now you've got more or less a static uh, rear differential that moves out to the corners which themselves are moving up and down and gives you that uh, that rear suspension articulation so with all of that comes the ability to drop the floor down some mm -hmm. uh, and and be able to give you some more leg room for a third row seat that likely is sitting pretty much right above where that rear axle would ordinarily sit and then we're likely going to be seeing a, a gas tank uh, mounted behind that or else uh, a, oh, no. a, a sideways mounted lengthwise across the vehicle. No, no. They they learned their lesson about uh, fuel tanks in the rear from all those uh, from the lawsuits of the Grand Cherokee. Now it's going to be in-flight refueling. They'll just have to be uh, – yeah. uh, they'll just have to follow <laughs> a – a vehicle that has oh, has the insurance, yeah, yeah, yeah. tracker. So, oh, yeah, could you just see that in California? I don't think so. On this, <laughs> Ooh, we got a spill. We have. Oh boy! So, oh, can I just plug into that too? <laughs> would this be considered IRS? Yes, at that point, it would be IRS. Well, I guess it would be suspension. steering. What would the uh, IFS is uh, independent front steering, independent front suspension? Yeah. Suspe oh, is it suspension good? Then it, I IRS works. So uh, people yeah. will panic. IRS? Oh my God! No, no, it's the how the <laughs> drive on it. Okay, the <laughs> back of the vehicle. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. I don't know. I, I, that that IFS stuff just gives me the willies. I mean, though, I, I know you can build it big enough and bad enough, but it, it's so expensive to do so, and it's just so simple and cheap with you know solid axles 
Well, and I honestly, I can see the aftermarket coming into play here in the next couple few years as well. This is going to be a body-on-frame vehicle, so mm -hmm. I, I suspect we'll see uh, some leveling kits, we'll see some you know body lift, you know something like that. Uh, coming up in the near future. There's going to be an aftermarket demand for these, uh, but it's going to take a little while oh, for sure. that to get traction. I mean, we're talking about a $100,000 vehicle. There's not a lot of room left for aftermarket after you spend six figures on a vehicle. So, I mean, unless you're just swimming in cash. So, um, I mean, those with insane credit and, and up to their eyeballs in debt are going to be going sideways over this thing and, and trying to get everything they can. Now, I will like to see some more street elements um, in the aftermarket with these larger SUVs. Uh, I think, you know, the 24-inch the wheels, uh, possibly a leveling, leveling or a lowering kit uh, will be um, in the aftermarket as well. Um, just, you know, sort of that this is just too big of a vehicle to be off-road. But that being said, we're going to be seeing, because this is a Jeep after all, um, aftermarket tailoring towards the off-road for these much larger full-size Jeeps. So I got a, a, a bitch uh, to make about this, uh, the nose on this, uh, the, at least the concept vehicle. Is this an actual, I, I know you were reading about that, but the picture you used, was it the, what we expect to see for the, from the Grand Wagon yeah, era? So what you're, so what I'm sharing with the, sh uh, with our host uh, here in the show notes and what you will see on our website, if you go to jeeptalkshow.com and look uh, for episode 458, you're going to see a picture of this vehicle as well. And this was from the car and driver photographer's um, who spied this out in public. This is a spy photograph, considering this is not a full production vehicle. This is a test vehicle. Okay. Um, so th it's got all the camouflage elements on it. It is, for the most part, fully production representative, as, as in you're going to see the same body, uh, the same windows, the same, you know, all that sort of stuff as, you know, what you would expect so, to, you know, see on the on So the my complaint floor. here is, is the nose, how small that nose is reminiscent of the the jeep cherokees of uh, yesteryear the xjs and you know i'm i have the overheating issue driving on the highway uh, how, how are they keeping what's the magic that they're doing to keep this thing right, this behemoth to, I'm to, cool i'm going to ask you to move your eyeballs <laughs> about three-eighths of an inch downward uh -huh. and you go from the the grill in between the headlights to the secondary grill right below that and I believe that is where you're going to see the tail end of the radiator coming down. It's going to extend from that upper line pretty much right across where the headlight line would extend mm -hmm. yeah, over the, across the front of that grill all the way down to what would be the midline of the lower bumper. Well, there's still and a so lot of bumper have, there in front, though. People bitch about, you know, well, you're running the winch. That's why you're overheating. I mean, that's kind of the same thing here. There's so much. I mean, that's even bigger than a winch. So, I mean, I'm sure it's engineered properly. I just don't know what magic they're doing on these big, you know, bus size objects, keeping them cool, as opposed to my little old Cherokee. Anyway, yeah, I, I digress, but I, I get jealous at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see uh, see these things when they are in full production release, possibly with a, a much more modernized and, and size-appropriate wheel and tire package to go along with these. And, of course, missing all of that camouflage paint that really kind of screws with your eyes as far as the body lines and the contours of the vehicle as a whole. It looks like it missed leg day, doesn't it? It's easy. <laughs> <A little> bit, <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely <laughs> needs bigger tires. Key, it's, it's really... I got passed by a Hyundai day. today. I was in the... Uh, not the fast lane, but the next to the fast lane doing 70. And this little Hyundai with these little ice cream tires you know, goes by me probably at 90 miles an hour. So, I don't know. It, it works. Uh, it just doesn't look as good. 
Well, if you've got a news tip or response to any one of our stories, be sure to let us know what you have to say. You can do it by phone or by email. Just head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how to reach out. Coming up a little bit later in the show, we've got an interview with a really remarkable gentleman. His name is Paul Bruno. He's an author, he's a historian, Jeeper, and he is going to have one heck of an interesting story to tell. Very interesting, actually. Uh, and I'll just put this in your uh, put this in your ear right now. Uh, remember the movie Tucker, uh, and uh, I, th- I think that will help you, you know, kind of get a feel for uh, how the uh, the Jeep came about and the the ins and the outs and the the, po- uh, the politics and all the stuff that happened. It was it was very a very fascinating fascinating interview. I really enjoyed uh, speaking with Paul. You're listening to a four by four radio network podcast. You know, now is the time to go check out the 4x4 Radio Network, especially if you've never been there before. There's a ton of great audio there. It's all for free. It's all in one place. We've got the On the Trail podcast, Trail Chasers, Center Steer podcast, the 4x4 podcast. Of course, the Jeep Talk Show is there as well. Like I said, it's all in one place, 4x4radionetwork.com. Go over there right now. Go check it out. We'll see you there. Coming up in Tech Talk, we're going to give some junkyard love to the TJ crowd this week. What? Where's the noob? Noob! 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 Hey, newbie! Noobie! Noob Nugget. It's time for Noobie Nuggets. Well, I'm sure you've all seen it one time or another on Facebook or Instagram, pictures of people with their tiny little rubber ducks. And if you were cur- if you were curious like I was, I did some checking, and it's quite a popular trend among Jeep owners to cheer people up. There are Facebook groups, websites, and Instagram pages filled with people that have been ducked. So, have you been ducked? The idea is that you place a rubber duck on someone's Jeep with a kind message. It's supposed to be a gesture in kindness and happy thoughts that you can also pass along. Now, once you get one, you're supposed to pass that kindness along to someone else and keep it going. There's also websites and Facebook pages, as I mentioned, that encourage you to share a picture of your duck, and thus it begins. Now, this ducking was created by Allison Parliament. She works in Alabama and in Canada and was splitting her time between the two countries due to COVID when she was approached by a man who basically told her to get the F out of Canada and that she wasn't (laughs) welcome in Canada, (laughs) even though she was born and raised there. Well, after that terrifying ordeal, she turned to something humorous and her and her friends bought some rubber ducks and began placing them on Jeeps with messages to pass along the kindness and to take pictures with their rubber ducks. Well, several months later, there are thousands and thousands of followers and people participating in this happy trend. Now, there is a website that I found where you can send a ducky gram, I'm not kidding you guys, to brighten up someone's day, or you can purchase duck kits. This is where you have plenty of these little ducks on hand to pass out to all your Jeeps you see, and there's even programs for clubs to get involved for fundraising. Or you can just go online, buy a bunch of rubber ducks at Walmart or Amazon, make up the kind of gesture cards, and start ducking Jeeps. You can find ducks to match anything <laughs> This is <you> inappropriate. <laughs> it is. But it's kind of cute. Uh, you can find them in any color, like you could match the color of your own Jeep, um, or maybe the Jeep you're placing the duck on, or maybe it's your destination. For instance, I saw a picture of a Jeep that got ducked on the beach in California, and that little rubber ducky was holding a surfboard, and I'm not kidding. Oh, wow. I've seen pictures of ducks dressed as firemen, policemen, motorcycle leathers, and even shorts and Hawaiian shirts. And I've even seen some holding things like a cell phone or selfie stick, candy, baseball, basketball, even some with sunglasses. It seems you can find all kinds of ducks doing all kinds of things to fit your lifestyle. 
And it's not limited to yellow rubber ducks, by the way. They come in all colors of the rainbow. Red. But I would, but I would, yes, we need a red <laughs> one, Tony. But I would give you a word of warning. There are some areas in this country that it may not be appropriate someone ducking their Jeep. So give or beware. Really? So whether, yeah. So whether you've been ducked or you want to start ducking Jeeps, I have some links in the show notes to get you started. Or you can simply search ducking Jeeps and see what pops up. And call into the show and let us know if you've been ducked yeah. and what kind of duck what kind of duck you got. Absolutely. So, so guys, have you guys been ducked? And if so, what type of duck did you get? Or would you duck someone? I'd have to leave the Robert house. Robert Ducky, you're <laughs> the one. You make deep turn lots open. <laughs> Take down I, 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 I had to channel my inner Sesame Street there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my uh, my oldest daughter uh, got uh, ducked uh, and uh, brought it home, and uh, you know I read the little the little tag uh, that was yeah. attached to it, and I found out about uh, I think it's Duck Duck Jeep was the one that yeah. uh, is that the one you that you saw? Yeah, that's that's the main one. I, they have the most followers. I could not believe. I mean, it's thousands. It's a, and thousands it, it's a great idea, and uh, of course, you guys remember the Jeep Mafia? They were actually doing it. I, 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 at least I think first. Uh, doing it first, at least I was aware of it first, but they were no, doing no, koozies. No, 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 no. The Jeep talk show, I, nay, the XJ talk show was first on the block with oh. this. Now, I'll remember, if you, I'll remind you people, n- sending us sending Nikki G out into random parking lots with a <laughs> microphone, all right? So this was the first Jeep ducking, and it wasn't really a ducking. It was more of a screwing with, and it was by Nikki G, not a duck. So, I mean, it, nonetheless, we were first, people, so... You know, this whole trend started with something that the Jeep Talk Show in its early days as the XJ Talk Show started way back when. So, you know, I'm just, you know, credit where credit's due. And and, and I'll mention we had to stop doing that because uh, we had to pay the bail for for Nikki G that one time and we just can't afford (laughs) it. Restraining (laughs) order. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, well, but yeah, I, I, but yeah, she got one, and I, I went over so there and joined. I went over there and joined the uh, the group, and uh, good. Uh, the, 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 one of the most common questions that I remember over there, other than will thirty fives fit on my uh, my Jeep without cutting the wheel wells? Thank you, Chris. Uh, it was uh, was is your you, daughter single? This, yes. No, we know. Yeah, this exactly. is a, again a, a sort of how they wanted this to thing know. Is all progressed. It, no, they want to know <laughs> if uh, if Renegades and uh, the new Jeep Cherokee. And compasses and stuff like that. If they get ducked as well, because they're, I think they're there complaining that their vehicle hasn't been ducked. So, frankly, I was really surprised that here in uh, uh, Katy, Texas, that there was somebody that was going around ducking jeeps. I mean, there's lots of jeeps down around here, but you don't normally see that. Uh, you know, you see it from California or on the East Coast, maybe up there in Oregon. Uh, uh, but uh, I was just I really surprised. I haven't seen a one. I, it might be a it might be a regional thing. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. we've got we've got Jeep Mafia out here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a pretty decent presence. I see a lot of their stickers at least. Um, but uh, with as many of the Jeep shows and stuff that I've been a part of and have been to over the years out in the in the Pacific Northwest area, I, I have not seen a single duck uh, get left on a, on a hood anywhere. Um, or out in a parking lot uh, at a show or anything like that. So, yep. um, I mean, it might, like I said, it might just be a regional thing. I, I don't know, but uh, it's not very popular up here. Yeah. But it's funny because I, I haven't either. So I'm, I don't know if it's, we're in the wrong area, if we're just, are we oh. supposed to start it? I have no idea, but I just know this is something that's yeah. <laughs> got, I don't know. I don't know how it really works yet. You know, like, wait a minute, am I supposed you know, to duck the, you or are you supposed to duck me? I don't know. So Jonathan in uh, the uh, Facebook live chat says, good thing about driving a Cherokee, you don't have to worry about ducks, koozies, or waving. 
<laughs> no, that's not true. I, I I get waves and get I I give waves and get waved at a lot of yes. a lot. So I uh, you know it's of course. I don't know. It's it's one of those things. I guess you you got to be above a certain lift and tire size to start getting yeah. more waves from more jeeps or something. I don't I don't know. I I really well. You figure somebody that's gone through the process of of you know modifying the jeep knows about the jeep wave. If it's if it's just a civilian jeep, then you're you really don't know. You might freak them out. So. Uh, th- did you know that I also re- read, I forgot about this, I also read on, on Duck Duck Jeep that there are uh, a number of people that just go over there and knock the Jeep off of the, the Jeep and leave it on the, on the ground. So, oh, you mean the, the duck, duck? off the Jeep, yeah. What did I say? The Jeep? They knock the Jeep <laughs> off? Said, knock the Jeep off. Drive the duck the away? Off, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're not well, here to judge. To if you want to drive a duck, yeah. that's your problem. <laughs> that's your problem. <laughs> but, they, but they literally knock it off and then the, you know, the, if, oh, if, you, yeah. if you stick around to watch... And I think this one lady actually uh, complained. Uh, th- she thought it had something to do. You, you, I guess you've seen those things where they put pennies on the door latch to try to fix it where you can't open it, so somebody can come up and rob you or uh, take oh, take your sake. vehicle. So, they, so, so what people are, they are actually you get a duck. Yes, it's a bad thing. Yes, oh they're God. actually thinking it's something that th- is going to keep you from getting in your vehicle long enough for somebody to come up and do bad things to you. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it, it well, takes all your kinds. groceries wouldn't. Really, <laughs> you know, they're probably going to put a, a, a little uh, warning on there about it being COVID free. Yeah. So, <laughs> do not duck me. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be the sign on the. Anyway, not, but to I be, could also not trying to be a negative Nelly, but there are people that that worry about being ducked, so because uh, they don't understand it. But uh, I think but if you have a really nice paint directly, job Wendy, too, and you're worried about someone, you know, putting their foot, hands all over it and yeah. putting ducks all over it, maybe that's a concern. Which is why I did the warning in the notes. You know, be careful. Yeah been leaving the uh the jeep talk show cards on on jeep windows and and underneath windshield wipers and stuff like that i mean this like literally for years and years and years i've been doing this and and just every couple of years i've got to re re up my supplies of cards uh because i mean almost on a daily basis if not weekly basis i'm in a parking lot there's a jeep next to me oh that's a nice jeep and it's not like every single jeep that i do that but it's you know it's like oh that that one caught my eye i'm gonna leave a card and usually there's just enough uh, room in between the, the, the wind glass and the actual window seal. I can tuck the corner of the card in there. It's right on their door. It's right. They can see it. It says Jeep Talk Show on it. It's not like, oh, I who is this? And what did it leave on my Jeep? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's I don't know, need my roof replaced. Well aware of, of what this <laughs> right. is Jeep related. And, and even on the card, it says nice Jeep. I think, that's, so, I think you know, they do that on the ducking thing as well. I think it does say nice Jeep. Oh, do they? So, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I didn't Very know similar. It was just a hashtag on the bottom yeah. of, the, of the duck. Somebody wrote in Sharpie. You can barely read it. You know, I don't know. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, we've been doing something similar through the show for, for I mean, literally almost a decade. So We need to come up with a, uh, come up with a thing. I, I just don't know. Uh, I, 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 per- I think that they went with ducks because somebody on was uh, going through Amazon and go, look, I can get 100 ducks for like 59 cents shipped to me for free. (laughs) We can duck Jeeps. With your own message, silk screened on it even. Yeah. (laughs) Where's the, you know, where's the connection between ducks and Jeeps? I don't get it. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't get that. I don't don't even get her story, how it even translated to ducks, you know, like what made her go to the ducks? It's funny, you know, like you're, you're ducking Jeep, you know, you can always, The the junior yeah. high mentality thing there that that uh, that I all, all that I love so <laughs> duck this topic yeah <laughs> what the duck what's going on well you know what reach out and let us know your newbie story and if you have a duck story we'd love to hear it 
And if you want to, if you want more information, check out our YouTube channel on Jeep 4-1-1 with more tips, tricks, and techniques. Oh my God! There's been a dump of videos from 411, uh, Wendy. I know. It's so exciting. <laughs> so, can exciting. you tell us? Can you give give the give the listener a little bit of a, an idea what to expect if they haven't been over there in, in a while? Because I think I've well, seen four or five uh, videos here very uh, in a very short time frame. Yeah, well, D- Don is now available and everything's, you know, moving along and he's just, it's time to start getting that video out. But yes, you need to go over to Jeep 4-1-1 and check it out. I'm not going to give any secrets away. We got to go check it out. So did he, uh, did he sell uh, his beloved Jeep, the the older one that's been uh, built to the hill? Uh, the, the Grizzly Con that's yes. a heck of a deal for somebody who wants the Jeep, Yeah. Um, I don't think it's sold yet. I think he's redoing that. But he, but we did reach over a thousand subscribers on the YouTube. Nice. That was congratulations. The really good. So that's a yeah, uh, that's a hard milestone. That. Hard nut to crack. Yep. I mm-hmm. know. So we've been doing that, and then the number of hours too, because you have to have so many hours plus, you know, yeah, subscribers. They've so. really, yeah, they've really they've really tweaked it. So, uh, so I I guess that's good in a way. But uh, anyway. So uh, good luck to uh, on that. Hopefully, you guys will uh, be able to monetize it soon. Yep, be good for him. He's worked hard on that. So, hey, I shared this review with the hosts a few days ago, and Josh commented it was great to have a good review for a change. <laughs> we, yeah, we've I mean, talked about while there, we've I talked about three kind of or worried. four really really not good reviews. So it I, is nice to have a good review. <laughs> I sure. I assured him and now you that we have many wonderful glowing reviews, but I find the bad reviews funny and I like having them on the show. So well, one of us. I'm not going to encourage you to do a bad uh, bad review, but if if you yeah, don't like something, don't. No. if you if you don't like something, let us know because we will play it on the show. We will talk there about it. There are other ways to make Tony laugh. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For pretty much anything. So besides, a, a wise man once told me, if you're not pissing somebody off, you're not doing it right. Uh, Josh, oh, yeah. Josh, would you like to tell the list, l- listeners oh, about this sure. outstanding Single me review? Out. The guy who pisses everybody off. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's a good review. I thought well, you might want to uh, give no, it to the is, listener. This is a this is a good one. This is a five star review actually, and uh, this one came to us through uh, the Apple Podcast from Pits Thirteen D. I'm I, that might actually be supposed know. to be selling uh, saying a uh, spelling a word. I'm that, not. I'm not that sure. Thirteen D scares me. There <laughs> we go. He, he begins, and I quote. Hands down, best podcast ever. Pause, wait, get away. Yes. There you go. Continue on. I don't know <laughs> that we need to continue on. I mean, really, that's... <laughs> it's going to go downhill. <laughs> Everything's downhill that's from it. this point. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, but he goes on to say, I have listened to a lot of different podcasts over the years, and none of them come close to what the Jeep Talk Show team brings to the table. I enjoy all your content. Except Jeep Weather with Mitch. I can do without that. I love this podcast and will be a listener as long as you're putting out content. And soon, hopefully, I can no longer be a rat bastard. Nice. Very nice. So I just want to say. Nice, but kind of a backhanded compliment there at the same time. You know, I mean, I, I liked Mitch when he was on the show. So, uh, you know, we love Mitch, and the Jeep weather idea yeah. was mine. So blame me. Mitch gave it a great try. I just it just didn't resonate with the audience, and now it's history. So, uh, thank you, Mitch. We appreciate all the time and effort you put into it. And personally, I really like the Jeep weather, but then again, it was my idea. <laughs> now we're not blaming you. We're just saying it's your fault. There you go. Yeah, there's a. Th- 
No, we we love uh, love getting the reviews, and uh, it's uh, it, it, I, you know I like hearing the bad news too because it gives us an idea. Now, when, when people say you're fat, you're ugly, and your mom smells bad, that doesn't really help the show. <laughs> That's just kind of a, a mean attack. So, uh, but if you've got uh, some some good comments about uh, things you like and you don't like, we we listen to them. So we really appreciate the uh, the reviews, good and bad. You guys remember the drunk call? I think it was last week from Jason. Yes. Yeah, he had several oh, yeah. of them. You put them together yeah, and made I, a five-minute call. I'd, yeah, I'd said uh, maybe he wasn't quite that drunk, but then he mentioned something. I forgot what it was. Bike like, trail. Okay, yeah, he no. was thinking about going to the bike trail, and he said, no, yeah. <laughs> I'll call I'll call into the Jeep Talk Show. Well, Jason's back. Oh, boy. Hey, Jeep Talk Show. This is Jason again. It's 2.30 in the morning again, and I'm thinking about driving down a bicycle trail. Thinking about it. Did I do it? Thinking about it. I want to be on your show in a bad way. Anyways, I'm calling because I have uh, two guests that you might be interested in. Uh, One of them is HK Off-Road. I believe that they're based in California, and they make some really uh, adorable products. Um, They first started off with the WJ, and then they sent it out with with JK. Um, Yeah, so give them a call. Look them up on the website. Uh, the other one is a YouTube subscriber that I subscribe to. It's Venture 4WD, Venture Forward. Um, the individual's name is Chris Schont, I believe, S-H-O-N-T-Z. And he travels around the 2015 GTA full time. Like, he actually lives in his Jeep. He doesn't live in a motorhome or anything. Like, he literally lives in his JK. And he has some pretty neat videos. He's from Pennsylvania and he's traveled throughout the United States, Canada. Um, yeah. So, I'd, if you get a hold of him, I think he'd be an interesting guest to talk to just to how it is to really live the Jeep life through, throughout a, a, a Jeep JK. Um, like I said, it's Venture Forward, 4WD. Uh, and his name is Chris Shaw. That's great. And uh, I would say yeah. don't use the speakerphone. <laughs> pick, up the, <laughs> pick up the phone and put it to your mouth. It'll, uh, it'll, it's all background noise on that one. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Jason, for the suggestion. Uh, I think we're going to try and reach out to, uh, to those companies, those individuals, and see if we can't get them on the show. Why did you become a paid subscriber to the Jeep Talk Show? I love the show. I've listened to you guys for free for, I don't know, years now, and I figured I'd time to give back. You can be a paid subscriber and help support the show you love, the Jeep Talk Show. It'll just uh, help help the show out, and, and then in the end, it'll be Jeep Talk Show in my ear holes, you know? Just go to JeepTalkShow.com and look for the big yellow subscribe button. It'd be nice to give back to uh, so that you guys can continue on, because if they love the show, then why shouldn't you, why shouldn't you give back just a little bit you know we've gotten uh, several uh paid subscribers uh, to the show here over the last several weeks we really appreciate you guys going over there to our uh, our, our our website jeeptalkshow.com and uh being becoming a paid subscriber you know uh we've actually moved that uh for your convenience because you know we want it to be as convenient as possible for you to spend money with us uh, we've moved that over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. So the one place that we tell you to go, you can go there and actually uh, subscribe to the newsletter. You can uh, find out how to contact us in voicemail, uh, our email address. And also, too, now you can go and subscribe to the or be a paid subscriber to the show there. 
Now, I got a teaser for you. The the Zoom people know about this, and, and you may too if you've subscribed uh, to our uh, Jeep Talk Show app on your phone, uh, and you, you may have heard some of the, the uh, back and forth that we have after the show with our Zoom folks. Oh, yeah. Bonus content. Yeah, bonus uh, content. Very unique content. Sometimes some inside information and, and stuff like that, too. Yeah, if you're not... You don't have the app. You're not hearing the the bonus content. Make yeah. sure you go get it. The things, app is free. Things you may not want to know, uh, but uh, you, you <laughs> feel better after afterwards because you feel more informed. But anyway, uh, I have been uh, teasing it a bit with our Zoom folks about uh, we're uh, we're looking at some goodies for our paid subscribers. And no, we're not going to forget our past big subscribers, especially those folks that were uh, benefactors mm-hmm. or sugar daddy yeah. uh, slash mamas. Uh, that donated uh, uh, or subscribed, I should say, at uh, one hundred dollars a year, which is just amazing wow. to me. And those those are, and we have we've actually had like three or four of those uh, guys. Wow. I, I don't know if I shared that with you or not. So there's some some folks out there that really don't like being called rat bastards. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so that's coming up. It's it's getting close. Uh, and uh, so if you're, uh, I hate to say this, but if you're thinking about subscribing, becoming a paid subscriber. You might want to hold off uh, because uh, you might think about, well, I'd like to have those uh, those little goodies uh, to go along with my paid subscription. So uh, uh, keep tuned for uh, that. If you if this is actually tuning, that'd be really cool if you had a knob on your app where you actually had to tune the show in. You know, uh, you know I'll take this moment talking about uh, goodies. Uh, we I meant to mention this last week. Um, we haven't mentioned uh, stickers, Jeep Talk Show stickers in a while. And I think we actually had uh, somebody ask about that in Facebook Live last week or the week before. Uh, We do have Jeep Talk Show stickers. Uh, They're limited. Uh, We can always buy more, but right now we have have a few. And uh, what we do is uh, you can get uh, two Jeep Talk Show stickers. They're they're two inches by two inches. And uh, we will uh, happily mail those to you. But what we request you do is uh, fill out a self-addressed stamped envelope and uh, mail that uh, to us and uh, here at the, uh, the the Jeep Talk Show studios in, uh, uh, in around uh, Southeast Texas. Uh, and uh, to get that address information, just go over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact, send us an email, and uh, we will give you the mailing address. And uh, you'll send that self-addressed stamped envelope in, and then you'll uh, stickers will come uh, within, uh, I don't know, six to eight weeks. Six months when COVID uh, has a cure? No, no, no it, it shouldn't be that Come long. On. <laughs> so if you're if you've been looking for Jeep Talk Show stickers, we still got them. Uh, just uh, go over there and uh, send us an email to get the address where to send your self address stamped envelope. Oh, and uh, real quick, if you're listening outside the United States, Canada, uh, we we actually have some folks in England that listen to us, and uh, they were perplexed because they didn't know where to get uh, stamps uh, to to. Oh, jeez. To actually, you know, for the U.S. and they wanted they wanted stickers uh, in England, and I thought, man, I love that idea. I love it being yeah, international. Right? And uh, I didn't even I, think about that. I know. <laughs> I I didn't either until somebody was asking me how how they're supposed to do that. Okay, well, and I went and looked five it up, bucks and I'll mail you a I'll mail you the envelope yeah. myself. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> We're trying to keep the work down as much as possible because we do want the stickers to go out. Uh, but uh, so I, I went over and looked, and actually, the U.S. Post Office will sell you stickers. So you just go over there and buy some stickers, and they'll send them to you. So uh, there is a way. And I apologize. I, I'd love to be able to get get those stickers out to you. I guess we need to get warehouses in various countries where it can just be mailed straight from the uh, 
uh, the local warehouse. <laughs> Ooh, international drop shipping. I like yeah, this. That's yeah. right. Yeah. From the mind of Nikki G. The views and opinions of Nikki G are solely the views and opinions of Nikki G and not necessarily the views and opinions of the Jeep Talk Show. But they should be, damn it. <laughs> hey, this is Nikki G. And I was listening to the show last week and I've noticed that there was quite a few call-ins and listeners and such that seem to be under the influence of alcohol and or other substances. <gasps> and so uh, I started doing some research and I come up with a list of statistics about the Jeep Talk Show. Oh, no. Yes, about 80% of the Jeep Talk Show listeners are currently under the influence of alcohol and or other stuff. In some states, that's legal. Here in North Carolina, it's not yet. Maybe. I don't know. Nikki G does not condone the use of illegal drugs. 90% of the Jeep Talk Show listeners listen to the Jeep Talk Show while they're driving. 20% of the Jeep Talk Show listeners listen to the Jeep Talk Show while they're hiding in their crawl space. Either from a spouse or law enforcement, who knows? We don't judge here. 25% of the Jeep Talk Show hosts are currently wearing pants. And only 15% of the Jeep Talk Show listeners have been abducted by an alien and or anally probed. Oh, no. Yeah, no judgment here either. Memories. I know, that's, that's no fun when that happens. But that's not why I'm calling. I'm calling because I'm concerned about my <laughs> next-door neighbor who works on the road construction crew. Oh, no. This is I'm science. afraid he's stealing from his job. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I didn't want to believe it, but when I came home, all the signs, signs were, were there. there. <laughs> it's a classic. All right, it is a classic. I'll chat at you later. You have a good one. Bye. Cue yeah, the it. banjo twang. I'm pretty sure that's the third time he's used that joke. <laughs> oh At least twice. At least he's, twice. He's only, done the, he's only done the well song once, Josh. <laughs> so. No. Dude, there was, there was multiple well song call-ins. Thank you very much. Oh Try not to have too many of those anymore. Uh, the signs are all there. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, man. Good groaner. Good groaner. You got tech questions? Ah, what do I ever? We have answers. Oh, that's good. I think it's Tech Talk with Jeep Ready. Talk. Yahoo! Well, more tips from the junkyard this week. Last week, we in Tech Talk, we covered an inexpensive way to breathe new life into a saggy leaf-sprung Jeep by using parts out of a junkyard. Well, I wanted to continue with this junkyard theme this week and give some love to the TJ crowd. TJ owners deserve a cheap solution to bring spring problems uh, just as much as anybody else. And of course, one of the things that eats any TJ budget to shreds is the cost of a lift kit. Well, I want to give you a couple of suggestions for some junkyard parts that will help you lift a stock TJ to fit much bigger tires and give you more articulation. What I'm about to share with you will net you anywhere between 2 and 3 inches of lift when you're done. To accomplish this, you'll be putting in the front springs from a V8 Grand Cherokee ZJ. That is the Jeep that uh, the SUV built between 1993 and 1998, and it must be a V8 Grand Cherokee too, or you won't get the lift out of the springs. You will also need the thicker isolators found with those same springs. Remember, the Grand was a luxury Jeep, and to dampen some of the road noise, they used much thicker isolators that act more like a spacer on the TJ than a sound dampener. The V8 engine in the Grands was a much heavier engine and required a slightly taller spring than the, than the V6 Grands did, and these springs and isolators together are about 2 to 3 inches or so taller than the front stock TJ spring and isolator combination. 
Now, to bring the rear up to height, we're going to be looking for a Crown Victoria in the junkyard. That's right, the old Crown Vicks, just like the cop cars. The Crown Vic springs are also a taller spring made to handle the weight of such a large car. Especially once you throw a bunch of gear into the trunk and everything, those springs are going to be working overtime. And, uh, well, they'll do just fine on the Jeep. Here, too, you're going to want to grab the isolators. And I hear some guys are running both sets of isolators to gain just that little extra bit of height. There are other considerations you will have to take care of after putting these springs into a TJ as well. First and foremost is going to be the shocks. The, shock, the stock shocks won't have the travel necessary for the new ride height and suspension travel. So new shocks will be needed. There is another area where the junkyard or even Craigslist comes to the rescue. Look for takeoff shocks from a stock Rubicon JKU. When somebody upgrades their Jeep with aftermarket parts, they take off the stock stuff and sell it for super cheap. These takeoffs, as, as they were, are readily available on a number of places. The stock Rubicon JKU shocks, and these are the red ones, will be the perfect upgrade. They are just barely within the specs needed to accommodate the new suspension of the TJ as well, and will be a suitable, suitable easy-to-find, and expensive option. You may need or want to look into track bar relocation brackets as well, or even adjustable track bars. These will be needed to recenter the axles under the Jeep after the junkyard lift. You will want to look into getting an alignment done as well as soon as, as soon as possible since you just changed a lot of the geometry under the Jeep in some critical areas. There are also a lot of while you're in there's that can go along with this too. Things like brake line length, visual inspections of steering and brake components. Maybe it's time for some new wheel bearings or a brake job or maybe you'll discover a worn tie rod end. Who knows, really. Just be prepared for the unexpected and a possible last minute run to the parts store. Regardless, be sure to use black magic brake pads when you do do get to the brake job, and it will help in stopping things on and off the trail as well. In the end, you'll have enough lift for some larger tires, you'll have increased your suspension travel, and changed the look of your Jeep for the better. I will warn you, though, that you will get what you pay for in this regard. Things may not fit perfectly, things may squeak, and you will definitely notice a change in the ride quality. This is not going to be as soft or comfortable as a ride as you had before. And for a daily driver, honestly, I would almost advise against this procedure just because of that. But don't let that stop you, though. Really, honestly, once lifted, it's a lot easier to change things later on down the road. And you're still going to be doing a lot better than you were previously when you're off-road. So you got to take that into consideration. But yeah, the Black Magic brakes are some, uh, some good brakes. Um, you know, this is very reminiscent of uh, the xjtalk.com uh, website where we would talk about bastard packs and uh, a lot of this stuff that you were talking about for the TJs. It, it bought, brought back a lot of memories of, uh, of those discussions. It's really interesting the type of things that you can come up with, the, the workarounds that you can do. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it actually, I, I bet you've talked about this before, doing the disc brake conversion like on a... Uh, a Chrysler eight and a quarter, or uh, even a Dana thirty fives oh, yeah. uh, that uh, that you could do, and not spending six hundred dollars for the kit that you buy online. You actually uh, go to the junkyard and do the exact same thing. So there's a lot of these things like this, and I'm glad you're bringing uh, bringing some of these out in stories because uh, I'm sure we've got uh, uh, new listeners out there that don't realize that you don't have to have it done. You don't have to buy it new. You can. Uh, work right. these things uh, and uh, you learn in the process and you, you're really happy oh, about saving yeah. the money. No, you really do. You learn a lot in the process. I, I would almost say that, that the knowledge learned in going through something like this and doing a junkyard lift 
um, and the amount of research, the amount of wrenching that you're going to do and stuff like that, you're going to learn so much about other Jeeps, other vehicles, and your own Jeep, more importantly, mm-hmm. um, than virtually any other way. Uh, and, and you really get that firsthand knowledge because you had done it yourself. Now, I mean, obviously, if you, you don't have the tools, you don't have the, the know-how, uh, maybe your buddy does, then I highly recommend you, you know, watch over the shoulder, help out as much as possible because um, this isn't rocket science and it's very easy to pick up a lot of tips, tricks and, and other things when you're doing this sort of work on your Jeep. So um, even if you're not your, yourself turning wrenches, uh, make sure you're paying attention and, and being a part of the procedure as much as you possibly can without being in the way because in the end, it's really going to benefit you a lot. Yeah, uh, get in there too. Let your buddy watch what you're doing and you will be surprised. And I think this is a correct statement. You will be surprised really how easy it is to do many, most of the things that you need to do to uh, your vehicle. And uh, can, I think- can I just share a story? It's kind of unrelated. I mean, but also kind of related. It's not necessarily related to this, but that kind of that same topic. And it's, it's that, you know, I've, I've, I've worked, been working on Jeeps for decades. I've had a lot of other people's jeeps in my garage uh for sometimes a long time yeah you were complaining about it at the top of the show right (laughs) (laughs) currently speaking there's yeah case in point um but you know one of those things where i I get a lot of the you know i want you to help me with my jeep perfect awesome i take this as an opportunity to teach that person and and it would be very easy for me to just do the work myself um you know keep them on the edge of the garage and just get it done Oh, yeah, um, but a lot I, use, I use the opportunity to bring them in here. I want you to do this and this is what you're going to do. I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to guide you through the whole process, but you're the one who's going to be doing the work. I will be telling you what you're doing and I'll be telling you why you're doing it more importantly. And, and that is a critical aspect of this is the why behind the what. Just going through the motions of doing something like a brake job or swapping out a spring or something is one thing. But knowing the whys behind why you're doing this or that is really uh, so much more, it gives you so much more knowledge and and a lot more background behind the whole procedure, the procedure as as a whole, not to mention the the project as a whole. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And you know, uh, when you get a, a newbie in there and they're really paying attention to what you're teaching them, and doing everything that you tell them to do, you can work in a pull my finger, and they'll do it. <laughs> no, <laughs> or Henway, don't do maybe, that. Or a, you know, yeah, grab me those muffler bearings while you're up there. Oh you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Ed, Hey, while I'm doing this, make sure you top fluid. off the turn signal fluid really quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Blinker fluid. Yeah. fluid. Yeah. Blinker fluid. <laughs> oh man. Well, if you have anything to add or maybe you have a question or a topic that you would like for us to cover here on Tech Talk, please just jump over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. You can find out all kinds of ways that you can leave us a message and who knows, the next topic we cover on the show might be yours. You know, every time you say anything to add, I get a feeling that there's an implied except Tony uh, in, in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> anything to add except Tony. Just be yeah. quiet over there. <laughs> Hey Josh, this is Matt over here at the House of Gong. Just wanted to let you know that your 12 inch is back order. But if you know your way around Gong, I will go ahead and up your order to a 15 inch and get it right out to you with no extra cost. I know you're going to love it. Yes! Be counter coated black for free. Once you see the way this deluxe model swings once you smack it, you'll never go back. Now, I know being a famous guy, you can get any kind of Gong you want. 
I'm proud that you chose ours. So, thanks a lot. Be seeing you. That is hilarious. <laughs> Josh always shakes his head when that one plays. <laughs> no, I had to go get it really quick. I had to go, I had to go get my, my gong. Here it is. That's AR-500 steel, people. Gong Ooh. with a G. Can you wear that as a that, uh, a ballistic uh, sound, protection? I wear it like like flavor flavor on my neck, like a big rock. <laughs> this thing weighs like forty pounds. Hold it up because we got we have a visual audience now. Hold it up so oh, people yeah, can I see forgot, it. We got we got there it is. All right, here you go, people. Good and lord, lots, and lots of rounds on it. Yes, no, this AR five hundred steel target has seen a, a fair amount of fair amount of uh, freedom seeds. <laughs> there we go. Get that out of the way. All right. From around the world, or from your city, and sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Hi, ho boys and girls. It's time for the, another Jeep Talk Show interview. We're going to be talking with Paul Bruno. He has spent 20 years researching, writing, and studying early Jeep history. He has spent countless hours and treasure to tell this story to the world, first for the big screen and now twice in book form. After visiting key sites in the story and years of research, including the United States National Archives, he combined his knowledge of project management and history into the 2014 book, Project Management and History, The First Jeep. After additional research, he completed the original Jeeps in 2020, which further tells the story of early Jeep history and continues his journey into the depths of this important inspirational work of human ingenuity. Paul has more than 30 years of experience in the field of project management and information technology. He holds a bachelor's degree in management and computer software, as well as a master's degree in business administration and history. You can find the original Jeeps at Amazon.com and more about early Jeep history at www.originaljeeps.com. Paul, thank you very much for being with us tonight. I'm, uh, I'm glad you could be here. And, you know, I have to, uh, I have to mention this. I think I've mentioned it several times on the show. I don't know a lot about the early Jeeps, so this is very fortuitous to have you on to talk about the, the original Jeep. Oh, glad to be here and look forward to uh, providing what information I can uh, for you and your listeners. So how in the world did you get uh, caught up into the, now, I know there's a lot of people out there that love the original Jeep. And uh, uh, so it's, it's easy to understand how you got caught up in, in, in getting this interest. But this is a lot of work that you've put into this and studying about the Jeep and, and finding about how it came about. How did you, uh, you get started with this? I started about 20 years ago when, in the exciting life that I lead, I was watching uh, the big rigs of combat on the History Channel. Pause for overly excitement. And, <laughs> <laughs> and they're going through you know, the story of early vehicles, and they said that uh, the first Jeep was created by a bankrupt car company in Butler, Pennsylvania in 1940. And I'm like, wow, that sounds interesting. And then I listened to the rest of what they had there, and I was just became immediately fascinated by the story. And at the time, I was uh, beginning to write screenplays, believe it or not. And I said, this would make a really great screenplay. It has all the elements. And as I could began to research the story of what happened in Butler, Pennsylvania, and uh, the spring and summer of 1940, and I just snowballed into, um, 
I hate to say obsession, but for lack of a better term, (laughs) (laughs) an obsession, I think Jeep owners might understand that. Absolutely, yeah. And I just kept at it. We tried to do the movie for a good 12 years, and that didn't work out. And so starting around 2012, we turned into a book idea, which, as you mentioned, uh, the first book came out, which combined my project management and history experience and the project management history of the first Jeep. And we focused just on that. And then last year in 2019, I realized the 80th anniversary was coming and decided to um, reconstitute things and create a history book that would tell the Bantam story again, but also add in for the Willis fans, what, how the Willis quad, that first Jeep came about and the Ford Pygmy, which on the cover of the book, you see all three of those, and those were the first three Jeeps. They were all built in 1940, and that's why we came up with the original Jeeps to celebrate the eighth anniversary of, of their creation. So that's kind of the short version of how it's just an amazing story, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more as the interview goes on. So uh, the thing I've always been confused about, and I figured this was just so that uh, the military could get enough Jeeps that they needed uh, for uh, World War II, why was there three different car manufacturers? I believe that's right. There was there was three that were making the Jeep, or uh, I don't know if they actually made them or they they pitted them against themselves. How did that How did that come about? That's a great question. Uh, if you re- the army really didn't have a clue in the early nineteen forty, <laughs> and that's not a criticism of the army. That's it not sounds about it sounds about right though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they really didn't, and it's, it's documented in the book. In May of 1940, they had no vehicle to replace the mule in the the slot in between the motorcycle and sidecar and a half-ton truck. They they didn't have any plan at all, end of May. And then through a fortuitous, I mean, literally, you can't make this stuff up, series of events, they were able to get a procurement started for what they dubbed the quarter-ton vehicle. And... Short version is Bantam emerged as the leader, but as Bantam emerged as the leader over the summer, the Army basically, for whatever reasons, decided, well, you know, we would like to have a few more people on this. So though, although Willis lost the bid for the first 70 Jeeps, they told Willis, well, you know, if you want to build a pilot model on your own expense and submit it, we'll take a look wow. at it because we're really good people. How wonderful are we? <laughs> And then down the road, the Quartermaster Corps really was very liked Ford, for for lack of a better term. And in October of 1940, they basically asked Ford to build the pilot model also. Their reasoning was, which is detailed in the book, was to create more than one solution to the problem so they would get the best solution. Um, other people have various theories, which we won't go into here, but basically the army did create three vendors and have them create their solutions. And then in early 40, 40, uh, early 41, excuse me, compete against each other for the final contract, which we don't go over in the book. So yeah, it's an amazing, the competition's amazing and it's very, it's detailed up through February, March of 1941 in the book in chapter 11. So I would guess that this would kind of be like the DARPA back in the 1940s, where DARPA tries to encourage people to come out and solve solutions 
with uh, whatever uh, way they can uh, they can do it. Although I guess they give them some some basic things to go by. Um, so this is this is kind of what was it sounds like what was happening back in the 1940s. Now, the, the thing that I always kind of figured was is that there was a design and uh, like Ford, uh, like uh, Bantam came up with a design and then Ford just made it. Uh, it sounds like to me that these these three car companies came up with each uh, having a different design. Is that is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, what happened is. The Army came up with a very general set of characteristics in June of 1940. Amazingly, the official memo which started everything was June 6, 1940, exactly four years before D-Day. Can't make that stuff up. <laughs> and they worked over the summer in June and through June and early July to come up with a drawing and a spec. And then they sent that drawing and spec out to 135 companies, of which only four um, responded, which was, uh, and two said they couldn't do it, which one was Ford. And then Willis had a proposal, and, and Bantam won, won that bid in July of 1940. But they came up with a spec and a drawing, but it was pretty general. So, though... It had enough detail where they could build a vehicle, but there was enough leeway there where, yes, Bantam Solution, Willis Solution was different. Ford, starting later in October 1940, definitely benefited from what some of the, using my project management terminology, lessons learned from mm -hmm. uh, Bantam and Willis to, didn't take them as long to build their pilot model, the Pygmy. But yeah, they, they came up with what they pretty much thought they wanted then each three company tried tried a solution. Real quick, for example, uh, Bantam used a certain type of engine. Willis decided they had their own engine, but it was heavier and weight was an issue. So they went with their heavier, more powerful engine, which, as detailed in the book, is was a major uh, plus once they got that worked out. So that's just one example of the different engineering that went into the three different pilot models. Now, I'm having to dig really deep to remember this, so it may not be right, but didn't uh, the Army have a, a basic um, a weight requirement and nobody was able to, to make that weight requirement? It was heavier than what the, the Army wanted it. Is that correct? That is 100% correct. So pat yourself on the back and give yourself <laughs> a point for that one. Yes, and what's amazing about it, now this goes back to my project management uh, experience. This is what you absolutely don't want to happen. Mm -hmm. So the army decided, well, how much is this thing going to weigh? Well, let's see. We need something between the motorcycle and sidecar, which is 500 pounds, and a quarter ton truck, which is 2,000 pounds. So we'll just say the thing has to weigh 1,200 pounds. The problem was they never asked anybody who was actually going to build it how much it should weigh. Yeah, can, can you do it? <laughs> right? You just, you just come up and say it's going to be 1,200 pounds. It's a miracle. And so every single person well detailed in the book could not meet the weight requirement. The weight requirement was a huge issue up through really early 1941 where they finally realized, I think we're going to set the weight at 2,160 pounds. <laughs> So yes, the weight requirement again. It's it's detailed in the book. That was that just perplexed the people trying to build the vehicle like like amazing. Oh, I bet. But they got it worked out. You, you have to wonder how many of the the manufacturers just said no, we're not interested in, in doing the bid because they looked at the weight requirements and said we'll never get anywhere close to that. Well, that was number one, sir. 
The number two problem was they told all the bidders, you have to build your prototype in 49 days, <laughs> which was considered impossible. <laughs> and by the way, this was going to be a revolutionary vehicle, which no one's ever built. And you got to build it in 49 days, a revolutionary new vehicle. And um, you have to build it to uh, these requirements that, you know, you can't rake. So the 49 days and the wait were both huge issues. And in fact, that's why Willis lost out on the first bid because they said, look it, we can't do this in 75 days. Bantam, on the other hand, which had nothing to lose because they were bankrupt, which is another amazing that's part a, of the story. Yeah. The company's bankrupt. It's like, this, this doesn't happen. You can't make this stuff up. And they said, yeah, we could do it in 49 days. They had no clue. <laughs> we got nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got nothing else going on. Let's see what happens. And then, again, right out of a Hollywood screenplay, they build their vehicle, the Bantam reconnaissance car, literally finish it and deliver it with a half an hour to spare on the 49th oh, day. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. Oh, my That's what goodness. I yeah, I can see Damn. this. You're right. It does kind of have a screen space, screen screen space, screenplay uh, smack to it. You know, you do, that's the kind of stuff you see on Hollywood things. You're like, they just get in there at the last minute. So <laughs> exactly. That's oh, that's I would a, thought it would make a great screenplay, but you know, in my humble opinion, it makes a great book too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's uh, the the screenplay. The the movie kind of comes out and goes away. The book, you can go back and look at the. Uh, good reference material. You don't have to uh, put his, a DVD in or anything like that. You can just uh, thumb through it. That's great. Great idea. So now the book's only been out since uh, August. Uh, the uh, the original Jeeps. It, and is it only in paperback? It is only in paperback. Because I'm thinking this would be one of those nice uh, coffee table books. You know, when your Jeep friends come over. Uh, but uh, paperback is good too. It's just uh, it's going to get all bent and stuff from everybody coming over there and thumbing through it. You'll have to get more than one. That'll be the solution. Keep get two, and then you can keep one nice and put the other one out there for your your greasy fingered friends to thumb through. I could totally support buying more books. Absolutely, it's <laughs> I hard you for might. me to do it, but I can support it. <laughs> so, uh, so let's talk about the book for a second. Now, uh, I think you mentioned that there's some uh, some pictures in there because you know Jeepers love pictures. Oh, yeah, it's really lots of photographs. Um, just two examples uh, to whet people's appetite is I met people in Butler that, that knew all about the creation of the first Jeep, and one of them was kind enough to share the photographs, the people who are actually building the, the reconnaissance car in 1940. He shared all those photographs with me. So in the build chapter on... The Bantam BRC, you can see the vehicle being built, even and they even put in date, um, date, uh, uh, hang on a second, paper like September 5th, so you can see exactly what date the picture is in 1940 as they're oh, building the vehicle. Oh, nice, that's yeah, very that was handy. amazing. Yes, and, and then just one other is for the Willis people. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Pat Foster was kind enough to share a lot of his Willis photographs with us, and they uh, punctuate chapters 9 and 10, and just Willis vehicles that they sold on the civilian side, and then some of the you know, um, photographs he had of the uh, Willis Jeeps. So it's a lot of photographs. You know, I don't think all these photographs have ever been published in one place before as organized uh as well organized as we were able to do so something 
if people don't want to read the whole story, even though the story is really amazing, there are a lot of good photographs for people to see. Well, that's, that's a great thing about a book because you can, uh, if you have the pictures in there, it, it kind of whets your appetite for reading the information around them. And the next thing you know, you're hooked into it. Uh, I, I have a really bad habit about reading books. Uh, I, I just sit there and I don't do anything else. I have a, this very much a movie mentality where I want to uh, get from the beginning to the end very quickly. Uh, it's it's a lack of maturity in reading. <laughs> so I absolutely don't do anything except read when I get involved in a in a like a novel, for example. So, uh, but the but I like the pictures because they they draw you in and and you ask questions. Well, how did they do that? My God, and and I have a question. How did Bantam? Um, how were they able even to keep going? I mean, was it the government contract that they got that, that kept them going? I mean, uh, well, you know, when I think of bankruptcy, I'm thinking they're going out of business, but I guess that's not necessarily true. Yeah, they were going out of business. Okay. And they did a Hail Mary pass, to use a um, contemporary term, mm-hmm. and sent a guy to Washington to try to jump up business. What they're actually looking for was aviation parts. Because they were starting to build more planes at the time, mm-hmm. and their factory could have handled that. Right. And then the whole Jeep thing came around. And yes, when they got the first Jeep contract in July of 1940, that gave them enough money to be able to stay alive and the you know the hand build the first Jeep. So, but they they were they did everything on a shoestring. I mean, and I think I say in the book, you know, they did everything on a shoestring, and actually that would actually insult the string. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's like. They, they they had nothing. They just created an engineering department out of nowhere. It's like, well, we need an engineering department. Okay, let's bring in Carl Probst to see how that works out. It it's and that's again what makes it so an amazing story on the first one. Um that they were able to accomplish this with all the obstacles they had. But uh, as I researched the Willis story, their story was just as amazing, because uh, Willis struggled in the late thirties, you know, in the depression and then uh, they were a little bit better shaped than Bantam, but not that much better. And what they had to do to get their vehicle created, which uh, we detail in chapters 9 and 10, was is just as an amazing story. It's like, um, if I can mention, um, a, lot, a good portion of the book is taken from the trial transcript of the court case in the 1940s, where all the major players in the development of their Jeeps only a few years after were testified about what happened. And for example, the Go Devil engine en- ended up being, in, as far as I know, in all the Willis Jeeps that were built for the war. And Delmar Ruse went into great detail of how they got that engine to where it needed to be in the court case. And that detail is in the book, probably nowhere else, of here is the key component that made those Willis Jeeps so strong and so strong for the war. And here is how that engine got there from the guy who did it. And that's what I, you know, I personally love that kind of stuff. And I think it's just great detail of people to know this is how that happened. Mm -hmm. They had this engine and it wasn't where it needed to be and they got it where it needed to be. And it went on to, you know, as they say, the rest is hit. The rest was history. <laughs> uh, the re- the rest is a book in the works. Uh, so, that, what was the, the lawsuit about? I mean, was there somebody somebody was upset about something or? Yes, actually, uh, the Federal Trade Commission sued Willis because Willis was saying they were the ones that created the first Jeep and had created the Jeep, ah. and they had this whole lawsuit. Interviewed the Banner people. Interviewed the. Uh, 
interview is probably not the right word. The right <laughs> word deposed is the right word right. in a trial. And all the Willis people, Banner people, and even the Ford people. And this stuff was out there for, that was like 1944, 45 for decades. And I never saw it anywhere. And I found it and I started reading the trial transcript and all the documentation was in this court case, which we put in both books. And I'm like, these people are telling only a few years after. Now, this is my history side. So it's really oral history, but they're telling it in a court case, which means they're probably telling the truth as best they know. Mm -hmm. And only a few years after the events, which means they were pretty fresh in their minds. Right. So what the book does, both books do, it allows the people who did it to tell their story with me linking the pieces together uh, as it went along. So... For example, you have great detail from Frank Fenn of what happened on the two days that were critical, June 19th and 20th, 1940, for the creation of the first Jeep. And for example, there was a diagram drawn that day that was out on the internet that people said, we will never know who drew this, this diagram and when. And I'm reading the court case and it said exactly when the diagram was drawn and who drew it. <laughs> So I put that in our book. I call it the Beasley Bound Drawing, and it was drawn on June 19th, 1940. No one had ever found that before. I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm glad I did. Oh, doesn't matter as long as you're the one that did it. That's uh, that's great. So um, was the, the the Fair Trade Commission, did they go after uh, the, the uh, they go after uh, Willis because of, uh, at the behest of Bantam, or did they just do it on their own, or how did that work? be honest, I'm not sure, but I think they did it on their own. That's interesting. Because I don't know why, you know, I have to look. And they were they were doing the all the advertising during the war saying they created the Jeep. And um, yeah, I'm not sure. That's a good question. That's my, I'm going to just say that's my best guess from reading all the stuff I never saw. Where it was like Bantam made this big stink because Bantam was building trailers. So somebody just decided that this isn't right and we're going to go look into this and it's that court case, at least to date, is the greatest depository of, excuse me, early Jeep history documentation. Sure, sure. And, and I, I, like you say, I would imagine it's good history because uh, people uh, kind of take that seriously and they're going to uh, try to do the best they can do is remembering and presenting information. So, yeah, I can see how that would be a treasure trove of, of, of a good, accurate information, or at least what you'd expect to be. Now, I, I seem to remember reading something about um, – the and correct me on this if this is wrong, but didn't uh, you know Bantam was kind of like the company that was going to be uh, doing the doing the Jeep, and then the army went out and found uh, uh, they they got these entries in from Willis and Ford, but Bantam didn't know about it. Is is that correct? Yes, they didn't know about it to October of nineteen forty. And we go into that in the book, and they were very surprised, and they didn't react <laughs> kindly to but that. No, I wouldn't think so, especially in the financial situation they were in. Right. They thought they had the vehicle locked up, had no idea there was anybody else building a pilot model, and uh, that whole drama, and it's literally a drama, is detailed in Chapter 11 of the original Jeeps. And I go into, we go into great detail on it uh, using the memos that went back and forth in the communications, because I found all of it, as the basis for telling the story of what happened between October and early March of 41 in terms of 
how you got to the point with the original Jeeps that there was three and then they were going to have this competition uh, after and that's post um, where our book ends uh, to see who would get the big contract later on in 1941. The detail, the information after where this book ends and early Jeep history ends in November of 1941 will take another book. And some more research if I'm up for it. Well, it's a cliffhanger. I mean, and the hundredth anniversary is coming up, so that you got that to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, I got another twenty years. I'll be pretty old by then. But you know, hey, I appreciate you giving me a good time frame there. Good, right, good lead time. Write it, uh, write it now, and then you can uh, just have it sit there and wait for the uh, the hundredth anniversary. So um, now, I, and again, correct me on this, but it, they all three of those uh, companies made jeeps for the army. Is that correct? No, um, close. What happened was uh, Willis won or was awarded mm-hmm. the main contract in July of 1941. Oh, okay, that makes sense. For the Willis, and what happened is they had the Willis MA between July of 41. They were awarded a contract for 16,000. Bannum and Ford were wow. frozen out. Between yeah. July and November, they had so many changes that they created the Willis MB, which I say the icon that won World War II. In November of 1941, the Army realized, and you see this going back to the beginning in 1940 when you read through the documentation, they really did not have a concept of the magnitude of the war they're about to go into. And over almost month to month through 1940 through 1941, you see them realizing this is going to be a magnitude that we've never seen before. So in November of 41, the quartermaster corps went to Willis and said, we're going to need even more of these vehicles that you can make. And we think it's a really good idea that Ford makes your, your vehicle under license from you. It will be a Ford. And we think that's a great idea. Willis, what do you think? And so shockingly, they said, that sounds like a good idea to us. Oh, (laughs) they must have been under the gun then for for them to agree to that. Yeah. Well, it's one of those kind of a godfather offer. You know, an offer you can't refuse. Yeah, yeah I can see so, that. Yeah, we, so Ford you can either, was granted a license. Yeah, you can either agree to it or we can just tell Ford to make them. I got it. Exactly. <laughs> so Ford uh, was, they called theirs the GPW, General Purpose Willis. Ah. And w- Willis ended up building about 360000 for the war and Ford built 270000 And unfortunately, Bantam was frozen out. Uh, oh, from Jeep production, geez. they eventually built only 2,670 off the top of my head. And they were awarded contracts kind of as a consolation to build trailers pulled by the vehicle that they had created the first one. And that's kind of how history Man, goes Man, that's rough. Now, do you get the feeling that, that that happened simply because they were concerned about Bantam being able to make enough Jeeps for – I mean, those are that's a lot of Jeeps to make. And it kind of sounds like maybe they didn't have – uh, the manufacturing where they were able to do that, or maybe it was the, the the shaky financial ground. Although you said Willis wasn't doing much better, yeah, Willis was doing somewhat better. Um, there's a lot of theories on what happened to Bantam from the research that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Quartermaster Corps, and I worked in government, so I understand this. They definitely probably had a bias, understandably, to the bigger manufacturers, sure, because there's less risk, safer, yeah, and safe and that played into it and i and bantam 
again, detailed in Chapter 11, their representative made a few uh, political mistakes, so to speak, uh, and yes. kind of upset the Quartermaster Corps, which was not a good idea. Mm-hmm. So they were already, the Quartermaster Corps was already predisposed to really go with a bigger manufacturer. And then you upset the wrong people, and that is not necessarily a recipe for success. So might have been a combination of those two things, at least from my, that's my opinion. Right. People may disagree. Yeah, well, you're you know your opinion's good. You've done a lot of research, and I, I certainly appreciate it. You know, I, I find myself uh, <laughs> going uh, asking you these questions. It's a very interesting story. I, uh, stuff I had no idea that was going on behind the scenes. It makes sense. It sounds like government related type stuff, uh, but I just had no idea. And poor Bantam, I feel bad for Bantam now. And uh, I keep asking you these questions, and pretty soon I'm gonna have you basically telling me the whole book. So to stop that. <laughs> What I'm going to do is I'm just going to go over to Amazon, which you guys should too, and pick up the original Jeeps. And it's paperback. It's only 20 bucks. It's only been out since August 13th, 2020. And uh, did did you put any kind of a, 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 like a COVID uh, discount on that, uh, Paul? No, it's, it's $20. Um, can I mention one thing, though? Sure. Uh, for your listeners only, and I'm only mentioning this on shows that I go on or appearances that I do. But if someone wants to order an autograph copy, they can go to www.dispatchermagazine.com slash books, continental United States only, and they can order for $20 an autograph copy through that website. So how much do you charge for hand cramps? I guess you go get hand, uh, hand massages after you've signed all the books. Yes, I'm old. That does happen. But uh, if I'm getting a hand cramp signing so many books, I'm happy because we're selling a few and people are hearing the story. So you know, it's it, you got to make sacrifices for the story. That's great. Well, we'll we'll have. The, I know that's. Uh, it's really hard to write down all these uh, website information. We'll have that information in the show notes for uh, for this episode. So just go to JeepTalkShow.com and have a look at the uh, the show notes, and you'll you'll see those links. And uh, Paul, I'm going to go to that that site to get the book because. I love having autographed copies of books. I've only done that recently. Uh, I'd say recently, the last 10 years or so. And I just think it's it's wonderful to have the author sign the book. And uh, nothing for nothing for eBay or anything like that. Just it's just cool to actually have not only the thoughts and words of the author, but to, to have a physically have the author physically sign the book with you know their ink and their hand motion. I think is really special. So I uh, I don't know about you guys out there, but uh, I uh, highly encourage that, especially since it's the same damn price. <laughs> Get it signed. I mean, it's great. So special, yeah. Real quick, special offer again for people listening to your show. But to make you look good is the reason you're really going to do that is to test the link, make sure it all works for your listeners because that's the kind of selfless things you do. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. And, and and I think too that uh, talking about autograph books, I think you have a a giveaway for our listeners, don't you? Absolutely. So we're offering an autograph copy to your listeners. Um, and all they have to do is call in, correct? Yes, yes. And they need to uh, be a certain number caller. Uh, but uh, what you're giving away is the original Jeeps uh, edition, and it's going to be autographed, correct? Yes. And 
what we're going to do is it's going to be caller number seven because I live outside <laughs> of Las Vegas. How can I not pick lucky seven? It's so funny. I think the, the last uh, three giveaways we've done, that's been the, the number everybody picks. And I think it's exactly that, the lucky number seven. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just thought, find it funny that the, there's so many people out in the long, thinking along the same lines. And, uh, you know, we have to make it difficult for people. We, uh, we, we got to screw them up in some way because that's the type people we are here. So what we do is we get somebody to, uh, the people that call in, we get them to say a specific phrase. And we love getting those phrases from our guests doing the giveaway. So uh, we, we actually call it the phrase that pays, you know, from the old radio uh, DJ type uh, thing. So what phrase would people have to say when they call in uh, to be able to win uh, this giveaway? phrase that pays is original jeeps 1940 oh that's a simple one that's the one everybody should know anyway uh if you're a jeeper you should know original jeeps 1940 so here's here's what we're going to do you can get an autographed copy uh from the author i mean it's not going to be from me but actually so it's it's good uh, an autographed copy of the original jeeps and uh you have to be caller number seven and you have to say original jeeps 1940 you must be 18 years of age or older your mailing address must be in the continental united states you may only call in once per giveaway any required word or phrase must be said exactly and completely the first time your call must include your caller id one chance to win per individual per giveaway all these rules must be followed unless otherwise stated failure to follow these rules will disqualify you from being eligible for the giveaway we will contact you with a text message at the number you called from good luck jeeper sounds good sounds great and i really appreciate that uh, it's it's wonderful to have these giveaways. It excites the audience uh, that I you know the possibility of getting this. And the great the great thing is, is it's not going to cost you much to get your own autograph copy if you don't win. Oh, what was that website again, uh, Paul? It's www.dispatchermagazine.com/books. Excellent. Now I'm going to pick your brain. See how good you are with history. Uh, you know, the kids love the social media. Do you guys have any social media where maybe you uh, you talk about the history of the Jeeps and stuff? Maybe the Facebook, maybe the Instagram? I appreciate you asking that. Actually, we do. We have a Facebook page, the original Jeeps. And what's really exciting there is each week we're putting a post on this week in early Jeep history. So there's that there. So people can read a little bit of the history. But more importantly... I am sharing stories from World War II from my family's history, specifically my uncle who was a flight engineer on B-24s in Europe, and his wife, my aunt, who served in the uh, Women's Army Auxiliary Corps. Wow. And what we're asking people to do, and I would love if your listeners would do this, go to the page and if you have any family or friends that served in World War II and you would like to share their story like we're sharing our stories, feel free to do so. We'd like to make it an you know an homage and honoring of the greatest generation, another place to do that with these personal stories from the family. And we have my examples from my aunt and uncle as a guide for people of what they, they can share. So we'd love to see you go to our Facebook page. Um, the original Jeeps, and and do that. We also have a website which has more um, information on our book and early Jeep history called theoriginaljeeps.com. Excellent. Well, fascinating story and uh, a lot more information than what I had uh, had in the past. 
and uh, it, it's it's great to know. I look forward to getting your book and, uh, and having a read, and of course looking at the pictures too, which is of course my favorite part. <laughs> So let me ask you really quick, earlier when you were talking about writing a, a screenplay that didn't turn out, uh, didn't work out for you, I, 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 before you said it didn't work out, I was hoping you were going to say, and that screenplay turned out to be Saving Private Ryan. So what was the, give me the, 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 the nickel tour for the screenplay. I mean, if you can, I don't want you to screw yourself out of uh, possible uh, Jurassic Park uh, type quality movie or something, but uh, was it just a, was it a documentary or was it a, a storyline? Oh, it was a full-length feature film story, not a documentary, which mm -hmm. drove people crazy because this story of how the first Jeep came about, just the first one, is worthy of that level of telling. Uh, we used to call it, it was Tucker, if you remember Tucker and his dream. I was that thinking movie. that. Yeah, I was thinking Tucker because yeah. that's it was talking about, about the, the creation of a vehicle and what happened to the creation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Tucker meets Rocky. <laughs> the ultimate underdog creates the ultimate innovation, the first ultimate innovative uh, four by four. Right. Um, and yeah, we called it, I think I can mention the name. We called it an American triumph. Um, oh, we might've yeah. changed that title because it kind of was a American bantam, not necessarily United States, but uh, yeah, we just weren't able to interest anyone in, you know, the feature film in terms of the story, which you know, Hollywood is what it is, and there's a lot of good ideas out there. And um, uh, and maybe in the grand, grand, the long run, it was better. A movie might have done what it would have done, but now we have two books: one, an excellent project management case study on the focusing specifically on the first Jeep, and now with the original Jeeps, we have an excellent history study of early Jeep history. Uh, up through early 1941, really focusing on the first three. And if the, the the winds of history lead me to write a third book on finishing up the last third of early Jeep history in 1941, uh, superb. But if not, we have, you know, like you said, this nice book, both books that provide so much more detail than uh, before. Real quick, that made, made a point I wanted to make. And then I'd read about the early Jeep history stuff, and it was basically like most books, most people are covered to be like, yeah, here's what happened. Bantam did this, and Willis did that, and Ford did that, and let's get to the war. And my focus has been just those first two years to really tell in detail, how did we get the Jeep for the war? Mm -hmm. And these two books provide more detail on that than I think people will find anywhere else. On that niche in uh, Jeep history, and that's why I tell people I'm not a Jeep historian. I'm an early Jeep history, early Jeep historian. Right. That, but not beyond that, because once you get to the war, that's been uh, there's probably even more that can be covered. But that's been well covered by a lot of very talented people. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I think that the the, the movie, the, the screenplay idea, is a really good one because there's a lot of Jeep people out there, and they're they're just. Uh, like you, like you said earlier, you you have this uh, this love for history. People have this love, this fervor for for Jeeps, and I'm kind of surprised that the, the the Jeep movie didn't happen. In fact, I'm thinking that maybe these books, and uh, if I can uh, suggest such a thing, this interview might uh, project it to uh, being a movie. And uh, if it does, we'll need to talk about product placement for Jeep talk show logos inside the movie. Uh, just just so I'll just put that up there to, to be thinking about whenever it happens, Paul. 
I'm good with that. It'd be nice to <laughs> someone was interested. We have we have a written screenplay still, which we could submit to people. Uh, I'd love to be a you know. Well, well, I'm creating jobs for myself. A, a technical <laughs> consultant on the movie. Why not? Yeah, I of course. Myself. Hey, that's what we do here on the Jeep Talk Show. Uh, of course. And, <laughs> You'd have to be. You know, the key is you never, never know. You don't. And I, I don't want, you know, I, I could be secretive about it and say, oh, you know, but it's like if someone could get the movie made and they don't include me, fine, but be nice if they did. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I would think you'd have to be a part of it. You know, we'll have to uh, reach out to our audience, and uh, there's always the six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon. There's got to be six degrees of separation with Tom Hanks, too. So we're going to have to oh, don't, reach out to our. Me that you mentioned Tom Hanks. You got to be kidding me. This, <laughs> listeners, this was not set up. I have to mention this. Oh, okay. Literally, from the time we started in 19, 2000 trying to get this movie made, he was the one that we thought would be the perfect to star in it. Oh and yeah, this was not set up. We we did not set this. Up. I can't believe out of all the actors you could have picked, we just, he's at, he's the perfect person to play Frank Fenn, who was the driving force behind you know the first Jeep coming about. Mm-hmm. So, well, well, Tom Hanks does a lot of historical movies, or has done a lot of historical movies, uh, and uh, it just it just makes sense to me. He's the the Everman, uh, and uh, I think he played the character great. And uh, the, his recent movies have been historical, so I think this would work out really well. And uh, it, it really is a dramatic story. It's much more dramatic than what I realized it was. And uh, you guys will have to go find out more by reading the book. Just go over to Amazon or uh, the original Jeeps.com to get uh, information if you want to get a autographed copy. Uh, the original Jeeps paperback and uh, from uh, Paul R. Bruno, and it's just out. So if you were poking around looking at Jeep uh, books on the, on the Amazon thing, uh, it's only been out since August 13th. Go get you one. Paul, thank you so much for being with us tonight. And <laughs> as I always say, we've, we've gone so long, but such an interesting conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, I wish I could have been a part of this interview. It sounded like it was a lot of fun. Tony, I'm a little bit jealous, and I got to give big thanks to Paul Bruno for coming on the show, talking about Jeep history. He's two amazing books, really. And don't forget, you guys can get an autographed copy of his latest book. So be sure to call in now. And hey, do you have an idea for a guest? Well, we want to hear who you have uh, an idea of, uh, who you might want to hear on the show. What company would you like to hear from? Uh, do you, maybe you work in the off-road industry yourself, or you know somebody who does. By all means, then at that point, hook us up. Let us know who you are or who your buddy is. Maybe just you yourself would like to be a guest on the Jeep Talk Show to tell your own Jeep story. We would love to have you. Some of our best stories, some of our best guests have been just an average, everyday Jeeper. Go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contacts right now and share your idea for our next great guest. Well, that's kind of what Jason Jason did tonight with the the, the call into the yeah. voicemail. He gave us some ideas, and he actually emailed us the same uh, the same information. And we really appreciate it. We'll have to be reaching out to those folks. We do listen. We do get those uh, those guests on when they respond, because not not everybody responds. Uh, you know, just because we ask them, uh, surprisingly, but uh, uh, they don't. So, but coming up next week, we're going to have Brian Goldwitz with uh, Easy Trunk and uh, <coughs> giveaway. <coughs> Might be a no. Really? Can't wait. You know, I found out uh, Easy Trunk had been on uh, the Jeep Talk Show group and posting some things, and uh, I went over and checked out uh, uh, what the Easy Trunk was, 
and it, it basically is uh, a, a trunk that you can put in your uh, your Jeep Wrangler. So you know it, it gives you a, a nice secure area. The thing I was uh, really interested in was the um, easy window. It allows you. It makes your your flexible soft top rear window act like a hatchback. So you can literally pull it up and it will hold it up out of your way and you can actually drive down the freeway 60 70 miles an hour if you get your jeep up to that speed and uh you have this airflow if you have your windows down it'll flow right through the windows and <laughs> out the back of the jeep that's cool it is really neat yeah no i'm, I'm checking out i'm checking out their youtube video right now of of the uh, the easy window and easy trunk combination that that's pretty freaking cool and you don't have to have one uh to have the other so you can have uh the easy window and not the easy trunk or get the easy trunk and add the easy window and uh it uh, he even has carpet that lays down on top of it to keep from scratching it so you can you know use your i know this is a strange idea for tj owners you can actually use your trunk to store things in and you know like if you go to home depot and you're going to uh, securely nonetheless yeah, yeah so really interesting interview and uh, really enjoyed it got carried away again uh went uh, a good 40 45 minutes so but uh, lots of good information are you living the jeep life from mall crawlers to weekend warriors from daily drivers to weekend wheelers it's all about the jeep life and it's all good it's time for jeep life with jeep mama Last week, while I was hanging out with the cool kids in the Zoom room, one of the Zoomers commented how he liked my top five. So I'm resurrecting it for this episode of The Jeep Life. My top five camping gear I actually use when out camping. I feel we sometimes get caught up in lists and what we need for whatever adventure we are embarking on. It started in school with a school supply list. We are all different and have different needs. I know from when my kids were in school, half of the items on the list they never used. The same goes for what to bring to summer camp. My oldest, when he went to Boy Scout camp for a week, wore the same clothes the whole week. (laughs) Most all the kids did. We even argued when he was packing for the week-long camp. I insisted on him following the list. He ended up not using 90% of what we packed. He survived. He was stinky, but he survived. (laughs) I am now discovering the same fact. There are so many camping lists online, and they are so long. They are a great base to start with. And just like there are so many camping items you can buy when you're at the store, you see all these cool things. But what do you actually use? I'm finding the more I go camping, the more I realize I am overpacked. Over the months, I have been decluttering my camping gear. Now, there are items you most likely and hopefully will never have to use, but you really need them, like a fire extinguisher and first aid kit. Everyone should keep both of those in their vehicles, no matter if you're camping, off-roading, or just going to work. So, here are my top five camping gear I use every camping trip. Now, I'm going to put this first one all in one category as my shelter, a tent or a hammock or the back of my Jeep and the bedding. Sometimes we have slept in the back of my Jeep. Other times we use a tent. When my kids were with me, Neil slept in a hammock, which I actually want to try one time. And my kids and I slept in my tent. Actually, my oldest slept in the Jeep. So whatever shelter you pick, you need one to keep yourself out of the elements to make sure your adventure is enjoyable. 
food, another very important item when camping, and hot food cooked over a campfire is so much better. We use a cooking grate that we put over the fire. I think you can get them at the store for like 20 bucks. You can cook meat directly on the grate. You can also use heavy-duty tin foil to cook your veggies too. Or a really cool item that I discovered are copper grill sheets. They're reusable and it's a super cool product. You can find them on Amazon and there's going to be a link in the show notes. Okay, the third item on my list are my LT Right knives. This includes my everyday knife, the kitchen set, and a machete. The more I adventure outdoors, the more I have come to realize the usefulness of a knife for so many things. And then you have the LT Right handcrafted kitchen set knives. It's a super sturdy set for the outdoors. I actually use my set for my everyday needs when we aren't out camping. Now, the machete, if you know how to use it right, can also be used for many different things. Chopping dead wood for the fire, shaving tinder for the fire, a fire poker, moving downed branches on the trail. It's just a few. Now, my fourth item I use is my cast iron pan. I actually use this twice a day during camping for the eggs and bacon and for breakfast, fried veggies or potatoes for dinner or taco meat. Like I said, this pan gets used twice a day when we're out camping. And the last item, my camp chair. It's a perfect way to relax by the campfire at night. Plus, it's a good item to have when it's time to eat. I also sometimes use my camp chair as a table when cooking. I will place my camping bin lid on the chair's arm to use as a food prep table. I carry my camping chair with me when I'm on the trails as well for those lunch stops. As I said earlier, I have been decluttering my camping gear as I realize I don't need certain items. So now I'm going to give you a quick, my top five not used items. The first one is a headlamp. You don't need headlamps anymore because you have your phone's flashlight. Number two, an axe. We don't use the axe anymore. We use our machete. Three, toast cooker. This was one of those purchases in the camping store. It's a piece of equipment to make toast on the trail. It seemed really cool at the time, but when I'm out camping and wake up in the morning, it's just too much work. Eggs and bacon are just fine. Plus, we shouldn't be eating bread anyway, right? Fire starters. Now, I have been learning nature is full of fire starters. Since having the (laughs) cooking grate, we do all of our camp cooking over the fire. Now, it's a good idea to have a propane stove as a backup, especially in a year like this year, when pretty much the whole summer, there's been a fire ban on the West Coast. But for the most part, we plan our meals that allow cooking over a fire. Next week on Jeep Life, I'm going to share my top five actual recovery gear that I have used most on the trails. This time, I'm going to rank it from number one most used to number two most used, etc., I know some of you have been sharing You Miss Me on the podcast. Well, I'm working on my Wi-Fi and audio issues here in the campground. But in the meantime, I'm in the Zoom room during the show. It's actually a really fun time with the other Zoomers. Is that even a word? Well, if it isn't, I declare it a word. And I declare the meaning will be cool kids. I deem it so. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Um, she says Zoomers, and I'm thinking Boomers. 
Uh, it's, it's, yeah. It sounds a lot, a lot the same thing. So I, I know some of our new listeners may be wondering about uh, Tammy, uh, a.k.a. Jeep Mama, why she isn't on the show with, uh, with us. Uh, well, uh, as many of us do, Tammy's going through a life change. She's gone from having a high-speed internet uh, in uh, Maryland to uh, low-speed RV camping shared Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's just not consistently fast enough for her to join us on the show. Uh, just the audio portion, not even talking about video. So Tammy is still an important member of our podcast and works hard to provide us with weekly content. So if you've been wondering, uh, we have a tendency just to forget because we know the background story and, and many of our listeners do. But uh, for all you new ones, now you know the, uh, the, the, the part of the story that may have been missing for you. That being said, oh Tammy, I'm going to have to vehemently disagree with you on two points. First and foremost is the uh, the headlamp. Uh, it is a critical point of my camping gear because the cell phone, 99% of the time when you're camping, uh, at least around here in the Pacific Northwest, you are in an area where there is zero cell phone coverage. So the uh, cell phone is a useless device that is uh, really uh, better left in the, in the vehicle or in the tent uh, if need be. And, and the headlamp gives you the ability to use both hands. Uh, whereas the, uh, the, uh, cell phone, you need to be holding it. Um, and the, uh, the battery I guarantee you is not going to last as long in your cell phone using the light as it will if you were using a, a headlamp. Uh, secondly, the uh, most important item, uh, during camping is a pillow. Yes. <laughs> I oh, thought about that too. Experience. <laughs> I speak from experience on yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> yes, shelter is nice and, and is good to have. And, and so are your other things, but, uh, uh, nothing makes camping more miserable than forgetting your pillow. <laughs> yes, no pillow. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on the uh, the the light. My wife uses her her cell phone a lot with that flashlight thing, and uh, I uh, I don't like the the. It's fine if you have a way to charge the 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 phone easily, but to me, communications is potentially so critical in an emergency situation. Yeah. You don't want to be using that for something that. Uh, the LED flashlights are so inexpensive, last so long. I just I dropped mm -hmm. my my LED flashlight the other day and remembered how uh, once you had your flashlight on for a while in the olden days and you dropped it, it would go out. Oh yeah, because <laughs> of the incandescent yeah, that filament. filament got a little weak and yeah, yep. yeah, but. Uh, now you know what, I, I have to agree yeah. with Josh on the headlamp because your hands are free. It's I mean, I idea. use it out here even with the horses. You know, when it's dark, I mean, up, you know that we get into our time change. Just walking out to the barn, it's like, that is an invaluable tool for me. And the headlamp is with me on the Jeep. It's with us camping. It's anything we do. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm with you, Josh, on that one. Super important. Item. I, I know. I mean, Tammy, yeah, that, you know, the, 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 the flashlight in your phone, it's easy to get. You typically have it in your pocket. It's mm -hmm. a quick go-to and it will work. But you got to remember that is, for all intents and purposes, the flash for your cell phone camera. Right. And it really is never meant to really... Uh, really protrude out much past about 10 feet or so 10 12 feet is really about the distance of lumen that you're going to get out of a small led chipset in your in your phone like that and so if you're trying to illuminate something like oh what did i leave up at the jeep up there and your cell phone is not going to illuminate that up but if you had a flashlight with you or even a headlamp chances are it's got a beam and the the focus enough uh and the lumens enough to illuminate up past you know 10 feet uh, be able to, for you to, you know, see, you know, well in the dark up past more than what's just in front of you. No, I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. The, uh, oh, I, I mentioned this, uh, uh, recently my, uh, my daughter, uh, purchased me a set of gloves 
that has they're like uh, finger yeah with the lights on the yes. yeah, I got one of those I got this for my birthday wait yeah. <laughs> wait what so it's it's, gloves, no, it's they're, they're like cool. they're like shooting gloves the the fingers are not covered with the gloves and okay. you have uh, LEDs like on the index finger and I think on the uh, on the thumb knuckle as well yeah, yeah. No so it's kidding. like on the on the back knuckle of your of your index finger and the back knuckle of your thumb and it really just covers and the I, top of your hand it, it's not a full glove. Really? Yeah. Very low yeah. profile, too. Yeah. So you can actually, and then the really cool thing is, is that, you know, you press the little button on, on either glove or both. And now mm-hmm. as you're uh, strangling somebody, you can see their face. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm freaking out again. You see what hair color they got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, they're not super bright. They're not as bright as like even your cell phone light or, or a headlamp. Okay. But if you're in a, uh, you know, elbow deep in a dashboard or you're working underneath a sink or, you know, something like that. Uh, they're very, they're, I mean, geez, you can almost store the things inside of a film canister. I mean, they'll go okay. inside of a, a um, an Altoids canister, just about. I mean, they're extremely low profile. They're very, very small. They're not really oh. full-on gloves, gloves like that, you know, where um, the box that they come in is about the size of a deck of cards. So, I mean, it gives you an idea of just, you know, how, how minimalistic these things are. And I but have to check so it out. But they're so simple and, and, and so very useful um, that, uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I've used them several times. I've actually got a tear in one of mine because I've used it so much and in, in a, in a little bit harder than they were probably designed to be used. So, but yeah, she cool, actually, cool she, device nonetheless. Whenever she gave them to me, uh, she said, you can use this to work on your Jeep. And I said, these wouldn't last very long, uh, working yeah. on, on the Jeep. Now inside the yeah. Jeep under the dash, like what you're talking about, like electrical stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that, that's a great idea because that's, 100%. it's really hard seeing there. And if you're like me, I don't have a, a, a headlight that I wear. I just stick the flashlight in my mouth. <laughs> so. oh, yeah, I did that for years. I had one of those little <laughs> pen lights, and it works pretty good for that. But, man, once you, once you step up to a headlamp, it really is so freeing to have that much light directly onto your work area and, and have both of your hands 100% free. Well, we want to hear from you. How does Tammy's Jeep life compare with your own? We're always looking for Jeep stories, and we want to hear yours. So contact us and let us know what your Jeep life is like. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how. You must have needed this every day. I need it! It's the Jeep Talk Show's must-have stuff. Pick of the week for your Jeep. And this week I've got something kind of unique, and it's uh, a little bit different from a lot of the stuff that we've had on this uh, this segment of the, of the show. And and uh, I'm going to call this the the carbon fiber. Don't call it a Jeep ring. <laughs> it's a carbon fiber off road inspired tread and grill ring. The entirely Aww. carbon fiber ring features an amazing carved off road style tread pattern, very reminiscent of the original BFG KM1 design. For you uh, old school off roaders out there, you're going to instantly recognize what that li- is and what that means. Uh, but we can't call it that. <laughs> it also comes with a very recognizable, iconic grill outline that is seamlessly integrated into the ring's design. But don't call it a Jeep grill. No. To be honest, you won't even notice or care that it's a five-slot grill and not a seven-slot grill. So call it a Jeep grill if you want. It's not that big of a deal, really. The black carbon fiber ring is lightweight and durable and comes in a wide selection of sizes just for you. Wear it as a wedding band or as a simple everyday ring to show your love for going off-road. And it's made in the USA and made to order. Yeah. What's the cost on it? Do you know? Oh, yeah. I, I forgot to put that in there. Uh, on, it, if, as, uh, you know, a lot of uh, rings and, and jewelry goes, this isn't exactly super cheap. I wouldn't consider this a $10 ring. Certainly something you would not be finding on Wish.com. 
Uh, this does come with a $175 price tag and free shipping. Good God. I had no well, idea. I just assumed it was something cheaper than that. So maybe maybe the, the, the male or female that you're giving the ring to would actually accept it as a, a wedding ring. So wait, I have a question for you, Josh. When you get the Please. ring, does it come with some kind of a brush that you can clean out the grooves? Because <laughs> that is just brush. awful. Yeah. You're going to get stuff in there and it will never come out. No, what are you talking about? That's mud terrain. That clears that. It self clears. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Spin the tire enough, it would. Just got to spin it enough. Get enough RPMs on that thing, it'll clean right out. <laughs> I can see somebody putting some interesting tracks down. Oh, you know what? You could actually put ink on that and make some nice uh, cards. Ooh, you know, yeah, with a tread. And then, hey, yeah. You know what I'm for your ducks, for the rubber ducks. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need to get one made. It all that comes the, full circle. That's the cheap <laughs> talk show logo on it. Oh, my gosh. 175 bucks. Well, carbon fiber, so I guess maybe so. That's yeah. really cool. And, where, uh, and this is you? 100% carbon fiber, so it's not like a carbon fiber overlay or something like that. This is a ring made out of 100% carbon fiber. Uh, so, wow. yeah, this, this isn't anything cheap, people. So, do you think it would work uh, like uh, the Wonder Woman bracelet for knocking off rounds? You just have to be really yeah. careful. Would this would this work on your middle Boy, finger? <laughs> reflex is like a ninja. Yeah, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, they do have a variety of sizes, so I imagine they've got ones that are big enough to go on your thumb or, or pinky finger, uh, whatever, and everything everything in between. So yeah. So Josh, uh, how did you find this? Were you looking at rings? Um, no, actually, I've had this uh, as a must-have item that I've saved for, for several weeks. I just forgot about it on my desktop, and, and this week I was looking for something, and I was having a hard time. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. No, I've got something uh, in reserve here, and I just had to find the file, and sure enough, Perfect. there it was. So That's a pretty cool little thing. Yeah, it, it, I see exactly what you mean. It does have the, the tread pattern. I think it's uh, the uh, the KM, the original KM, and or the Cooper tires, because I, I know that the uh, the Cooper tires also had that same type of tread pattern. Okay. So. Yeah, I liked that tread pattern. I wasn't very good for stopping and uh, wasn't very good for anti-cupping, but uh, it, it was but a no, nice... Oh, man, they were great off-road. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a nice pattern for, uh, for a nice aggressive mud terrain. Well, now that you must have a carbon fiber off-road-inspired tread and grill ring for your very own, we're going to make it easy for you. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com and look for the link in the show notes for episode 458. Well, I can't believe that thing made it up here. <laughs> Barely. It's almost cool enough to drive. <laughs> Barely got it up here. Well, the reason why I say that is uh, because of the topic for this week. And, and those new to the show or to our campfire side chat, uh, we are doing this each and every week. Every time we record the show, we pick a different topic and we invite our listeners to join in around the campfire and, and uh, you know, pull up a chair, crack a beverage, crack wise, tell your own story, share your own opinion about whatever the topic is of that week. And, uh, and we encourage you to join in on the fun. There are a number of ways that you can do that, including our newsletter, which also gives you a sneak peek as to what the topic is going to be for that week, usually. Uh, and uh, so this week, we've got a number of listeners uh, here in the, in the, uh, around the campfire, as it were. Uh, we're going to be hearing from our, uh, our hosts as well. And, uh, and this week, the topic is uh, basically, what is the weak point of your Jeep? Everybody's got one. Everybody's got something on their Jeep. Um, you know, it's like, uh, in other words, you know, what's the next upgrade? Uh, what's, what's the next upgrade going to be? Um, you know, or, uh, why do you hate your Jeep or why are you suddenly <laughs> working two jobs all of a sudden? And uh, has anybody seen, uh, you know, your name here? 
So it's one of those things. So basically, what is the weak point of your Jeep? Um, What's the next upgrade going to be? Um, And so we're going to go down the list and and go through some of our listeners and find out sort of what they have to say about this topic. Top of the list uh, this week, we're going to start with Chip. Chip, what is the weak point of your Jeep? What are you looking to do next? That's a great question. So in the last, uh, I don't know, six months, I was doing a lot of upgrades, getting ready for that Moab trip. And now after taking it on a 21-hour drive out and back, um, I think the next upgrade I'm going to do, I've got 410. It's a Rubicon, so it's got stock 410 gearing. I think I'm going to go to the 456 to get my mileage back and a little bit more torque back. Um, so probably re-gearing will be one of the next things, along with I'm still running stock rear axle shafts, and I'll probably, either do, I'll probably do chromoly axle shafts in the rear. There you go. There you go. Yeah, and I'd say that's a really good point, you know, uh, and I'm going to assume that you're in the 35-inch or 37-inch uh, tire range. Am I right? I've got 37s on it now, yeah. There we go. So, yeah, you're going to be right in that sweet spot to get the, get that back. And, uh, um, yeah, that'll be – that. I mean, if anybody is ever curious about, well, you know, I've gone up in tire size a couple of times maybe – uh, maybe you've, you're, you're on your third or fourth set of tires, you've changed tire sizes a couple of times, and you still have the stock gears, you're uncertain as to the direction that you're supposed to go. There are a lot of great charts that you can find online that will help point you in the right direction as to um, uh, three different gear options that you can put into your differential for the tire size that you have. One will give you a lot of extra power, a lot more torque. Um, and but you're going to lose a lot of your top speed. One will be almost stock, and the other one will be um, you know sort of on the other end of the spectrum. And so uh, typically you'll see these charts with green, yellow, and red uh, sort of in a diagonal pattern, and it's all based on uh, gear number and tire size, and it kind of breaks down to uh, uh, you know miles per hour, you know all that sort of stuff, and you know how many RPMs are you at 55 miles per hour, that sort of stuff. These charts are very helpful, very useful. So if you're like Chip and are going to be looking at possibly doing a gear um, swap soon, and you just don't know quite the direction that you want to go, well, the charts are the first place to start. Moving on, I want to hear from Isaac. Isaac, what's the weak point of your Jeep right now? Right now, my weak point is my radiator. Um, It's got a kind of a bluish tint to it, and when you touch it, it's sort of all the fins fall off. (laughs) So I'm assuming that's not a good thing. And no, man. I'm, I'm, I'm working Oops. on saving up some funds to get that switched out. Now, Isaac, I'm going to ask you, um, you know, uh, radiators can be expensive, especially if you're looking to do a serious upgrade and not just a direct swap. Uh, is that is that what you're thinking about doing? Maybe stepping into like a three-core aluminum or, you know, something like that? I haven't looked into it too much yet because I've got till spring. Um. But I'll probably go with just a, a slight upgrade above, you know, stock. But I don't need anything too crazy, at least not with what I do right now. Yeah, there you go. And that, that's an important distinction, too. I mean, if you don't have a massive amount of engine upgrades, if you don't do, you know, a whole lot of really deep wheeling and rocks where you're, you know, you're really putting the strain on the drivetrain and stuff like that, you really don't need the, you know, the excessive performance that you're going to find with some of the, the, the bigger radiators, the aftermarket radiators to have, you know, more cores than what you do in a stock or are made from aluminum, which help uh, sink out the heat a little bit more, uh, stuff like that. And so a direct OEM replacement is, 
is you know definitely the way to go uh, for for a lot of people. And and I don't know if you know Isaac, um, there are a number of places that you can go to to get a an OEM or a better than OEM style radiator for a lot less than you could through a dealership or even the parts stores. Yeah. Uh, Rock Auto would be uh, one of the first um, uh, ones that come to mind uh, as far as that goes. You could always check Amazon and eBay as well. Uh, and I would honestly uh, have you look at Craigslist as well, or possibly even your local junkyards. You might be able to pick up a very you know a good radiator. Uh, it's not going to be brand new, but it might have another 100,000 miles left in it for 30 or 40 bucks from your local junkyard. Uh, and it's just going to require you to go out and pull it yourself or find one, you know, uh, somebody who's parting out a similar Jeep on Craigslist and and offer them a, a price they can't refuse for a radiator that you might be able to save a serious amount of money on. So, you know, definitely uh, uh, radiators and Jeeps, yeah, that's an all-too-common weak point. So, Josh, I'm going to take issue with uh, getting a junkyard radiator. The only caveat to that would be if you have a radiator shop in the area that you can take that junkyard uh, radiator oh. to. And yeah, have it, you know, point. have it boiled and checked and all the rest of that stuff. Then yes, but uh, there's a lot of people out there. Uh, I'm not one of them that don't mind changing stuff out. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go get a transmission at the junkyard and throw it in there. And if I if if it fails, I'll go get another one to throw it in there. It's that's a lot of work. And if it's not a daily driver, I can kind of understand that. And and again, the radiator mm-hmm. probably isn't an issue. Uh, but uh, I would certainly have it checked out before I before I put it in there, and especially so if it's a daily driver. Now there are going to be some signs. Obviously, if the fins are falling off, if there's a massive rusty spot or yellow spot, green spot on one side of it, mm-hmm. um, you know you can see around where the seam. And typically, radiators for the jeeps are going to fail where the uh, where the tanks meet the core, and it's those seams right there on the edges where where those uh, the the fluid tanks meet the core where you're going to find a weak point typically uh, where the leaks are going to happen, where you'll find some separation, that sort of stuff. And so if you are looking, uh, looking at a used radiator or something like that, and you're wanting to know, geez, am am I getting something that's just going to be another problem here? Uh, Some good visual inspection will at least get you a better understanding of what you're looking at. I a hundred percent agree with Tony though. If you have a radiator shop, it might be worth talking with them, finding out what their charge is for, for testing a radiator uh, and typically what that involves is just doing a pressure test on it, uh, making sure that it can hold a 16 PSI, uh, typical, you know, back pressure of what a cooling system will will pressurize up to. So, um, and and that might, even with the price of the radiator and the price of the test, you may still be under uh, what a what a stock radiator or, you know, uh, um, uh, from the parts store or from the dealership would cost. So, yeah. uh, look into that, Isaac. Uh, next, we're going to hear from a uh, former uh, co-host and uh, uh, <laughs> well, still Jeep Mama, world famous, Tammy. Uh, where, what would you say is the weak point of your Jeep right now? Uh, just real quick, um, Isaac, go to RadiatorExpress.com and tell them Jeep Mama sent you. They might give you a discount. So, um, <laughs> they, uh, we've bought tons of them from them. Anyway, Tony, are you sitting down? No. Okay, I suggest <laughs> you sit down. For this answer, um, it's not an upgrade, but it's something that I hate about my Jeep right now. Uh oh, locking locking D rings. No, <laughs> it's 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 the color of my Jeep. Oh. What? <laughs> yes. No, I you know, that was if people favorite. would just go along with what I tell them to do to start oh, with, they would save a lot of time <laughs> and money. I know, oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> No, it's because it is 
so dry and dusty here in Colorado. Oh, yeah. And I am on gravel roads. Yes. And I'm on, it's so dusty. But it's a dry heat. (laughs) And so when you wash it off. So what color are you going to do? What? Yeah. What what color? I'm going to leave it black. I'm going to leave it black. But I just, oh, I can't stand all that dust. And then when you clean it off. All the scratches show up. At don't they make a, like a California duster because uh, people don't actually wash their vehicles in California because it's so dry? Why, this is why I have white. You don't see the scratches. You don't see any of that stuff. No. It's awesome. All right, Tammy, here you go. Here, here, Here's the solution. Peanut butter? No, okay. a, rattle can, a rattle can paint job oh. is not the way to oh. go. Although, <laughs> although oh. you know. Tell her that anyway, though. Let's uh, see if she can make it do it. <laughs> take the uh, take oh. the air out of Tony's sails here. A no, nice what I'm going to say <laughs> is, is it might it might be time for an, a serious exterior detail. And I know a lot of jeepers out there who who really you know are weekend warriors who who really wheel their jeep. They're you know that it, it's it's almost a a point of pride. Uh, all of that that those mm-hmm. trail pinstripes and those, those, those micro scratches and and dings and dents and everything. They're all just sort of you know um, you know war wounds as it were. And uh, and it gives character to the Jeep. Now, that being said, there are others who, from the other side of the camp, um, want the Jeep to remain clean, uh, want it to look good and stuff like that, even if they do get it dirty and, and put it through its paces on occasion. So with that uh, comes an exterior detail that will involve uh, possibly a very, very mild rubbing compound to, uh, to take out some of those scratches, a heavy uh, waxing and polishing. And then what I would recommend is a, uh, a final detail uh, coating of a ceramic-style wax, a ceramic coating. And what this does is it fills in on almost on a micro-nano scale um, all the small imperfections in the paint and the clear coat and the wax itself. And, and it really makes it to where, you know, mud and debris and water just really bead off of the paint almost nonstop. And so with dust, although it may still co- sort of collect on the Jeep... It's barely even there, and you could just blow it off with some compressed air, and it will look like you right. just walked out of the or just drove out of the car wash. So you know, look into that stuff. Um, th- it only goes so far. So if your scratches are deep, if you have deep gouges, if you're down to the primer or even metal in some places, well, you know, you're 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 going to need to get uh, like uh, a right. uh, a paint pen. Uh, you know, those touch up paint pens um, right. that you know use for rock things and stuff like that. To fill in some go. of those locations and and then apply the the ceramic coating to to really help with uh, the the accumulation of the dust over a long period of time. Well, and I know the water spots too on black oh, Jeep's just oh so annoying. My, but I am uh, gonna I am gonna do that that little putty stuff for the clay clay bar right clay bar, right? Clay bar. oh clay yeah. bar yeah yeah I'm gonna now, try the that other thing, if you if works. you have if you have really hard water where you're at and, and a lot of places that are on a well or something like that, uh, that yep. don't have water well. softening systems in there, um, you'll have extreme, extreme mineral content in your water, uh, makes it very hard. And yes, you will have spots on your, on your vehicle if you don't dry it after a wash. Mm-hmm. Now, the right. way to avoid that would be some of these uh, car washing systems. Um, and it's actually like a filtered nozzle. It's a, it's a car wash nozzle. Sometimes they even have a soap uh, dispenser in, uh, you know, with them a little reservoir that you can put soap in there. But they, typically they have a filter cartridge that goes in them, and what it does is it filters out a lot of those minerals and other deposits and chemicals that are left in the water that will leave those water spots on your paint after it dries. 
Um, and so it's it's almost like drying your vehicle uh, because you're using a softer water. You won't leave those deposits behind as the water evaporates. So, Stacy, let's talk about uh, what are the weak points on your Jeep. Uh, what do you have that uh, is, um, you know, the reason why you are hating your Jeep right now? No, I don't hate my Jeep other than the fact that we don't get to go out and do much of anything. It sits in the driveway a lot lately. But um, uh, here, here. one of the things that I've been wanting to do is to go to a bigger tire. I've got 33s now. So in going to 35s or maybe 37s, probably to 35s, it's just what do I need to do to prep myself to get there and what I can actually afford to do. So that's my next step, and I'm kind of just – slowly figuring all that out. And I was listening to what Chip had to say about, you know, changing his uh, axle shafts and going with the chromoly. Mm-hmm. Is that, I think that's what he was yep. saying. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my, that's my next step. And I'm slowly just hopefully in the next couple of months, I'll go that direction. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of considerations when you're talking about uh, stepping up in tire size, and especially yeah. when you're going from, from something like a 33 to a 35, that's a pretty good jump. Uh, and there are some considerations that you want to take in, you, you want to look at. You know, do you have enough clearance uh, for both up travel as well as right. you know static ride height? Um, is there going to be any issues with fitment or um, uh, rubbing on anything else? Um, you know, uh, stuff like that. And you got to look at the drivetrain as well. Uh, you know, obviously Chip has a concern with. Um, you know, his, his miles per gallon, his torque, and, and stuff like that, uh, looking into a different gear set, going from 33s to 35s. Uh, and if you're still on stock gears, you're going to be having the same exact kind of concerns that Chip is running into now, right. uh, just in a slightly different, uh, different RPM range. Um, but it's all about research, and it's all about determining your budget and, and really looking at your options out there. And I, I highly encourage spending a weekend going through the webs, looking at what other people in your situation have done, what their results are. Uh, really figuring out what you can afford and taking into account both the labor and the parts as well. And because uh, it's not just buying the gears, you also have to look at buying the installation kits as well, so plus paying for the labor to, to put it in. Um, so there, there's a lot more to a gear change than a lot of people take, in, take into consideration. So that's why I always really harp on people to do your homework. I know it's dry. I know it's boring. I know you, there's a million other things that you'd rather be doing, including wheeling your Jeep. <laughs> um, but there are those times that you have to spend the hours in front of the keyboard looking at what it's going to take to do the next thing. And whatever that thing is, it usually is going to involve a little bit of research and a little bit of homework to make sure that not only are you going to you know, do the thing right and, and, and make the right decisions, but also not get you know, you know, bent over the counter at the same time. Uh, and you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Hey, anything that you can get to bring the price down, I say go for it. So, Chris, uh, sevenslats.com. Chris, what is the weak point of your Jeep right now? Uh, transmission crossmember armor. Um, mm. Been doing some inspection yeah, after bloody. being out on the trails and uh, hearing some some knocks and some rocks hit it. And, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty – in the JK, it's pretty flimsy from the factory. So, looking at the, my options to replace the transmission crossmember, maybe add some underbody armor. I know on the TJ it's an actual belly pan. Do you is it a belly pan on the JK or is it uh, just a, a thin strip of metal? That's it's a box, uh, the thin uh, a, bo- a box of thin metal, okay. uh, a proper cross member. But uh, yeah, it and it's it's in a good spot. It it provides a measure of protection. But uh, uh, I was you know, cleaning my Jeep and just doing proper inspection, and I've got some creases and some breaks in it, and it's uh, pretty gnarly. So it's time. 
I would say it's a pretty easy upgrade too, isn't it, Josh? For the most part, I mean, it, it is a relatively easy swap. You want to make sure that you've got a floor jack to support the drivetrain while you remove the, uh, uh, the cross member. Um, I will say one of those while you're in there moments <laughs> is to take a look at the uh, transmission mount itself. Oh, yeah. Um, this is going to be typically a, uh, a polyurethane or a rubber type of mount to give some degree of isolation between the actual mount and the transmission itself. There's a lot of vibrations and torque and everything that is happening in that area. Uh, and this helps sort of diminish some of some of those vibrations that you would otherwise feel. Uh, typically, the upgrade is going to a polyurethane style tran tra transmission mount. Um, and what this does is it helps trans transfer a lot of that torque uh, because because you do lose a few foot pounds of torque in just the motion of the transmission in that rocking back and forth in with that that rubber isolator. It will sort of um, and I'm not talking about anything that you that are really going to make it that much of a difference on or off road. But I will say that when you step up to a polyurethane transmission mount, you will feel it in the seat of the pants meter. Um, and it will stiffen up the drivetrain a little bit. You will notice a slight increase in responsiveness with the drivetrain. Um, but uh, it's not for everybody because you do lose the dampening uh, that the rubber provides you. So uh, if you're a stickler about vibrations and noises and knocks and what's that thing that I just heard underneath the Jeep, uh, then maybe a polyurethane motor mount or transmission mount may not be for you. Uh, but there are a bunch of uh, aftermarket upgrade um, upgrades that you can look at um, and uh, and other options. I mean, I've, I've even seen tube uh, tube frame cross members, aftermarket cross members um, that uh, that provide a lot of armor and stuff like that. I, I know with the XJs, it's a huge issue. I've already replaced mine twice so far, uh, and the one that's underneath there right now is is already beat up just after my last couple of uh, of outings on the rocks, where you know I got into some deep rocks and. It's kind of screw things up a little really, bit, but, uh, really but yeah, narrow, but that's what uh, it's there for. And uh, you know, and, and I always recommend armor. If you don't have armor, now is the time to put it in. So yeah, check out what's available out there. What's in your price range? Again, a lot of this comes down to budget and what you can afford as far as what's going to dictate the direction of your of your improvements or um, you know what's going to be the next thing that you buy. Uh, what about Larry Holmes, uh, Jeep and Mo? Uh, what would you say is the weak point on your Jeep? Yeah, I'd say the next, well, the weak part is the wallet, so. <laughs> <laughs> I hear, buddy, I hear that. I think everybody well, can, uh, can toast to that. Yeah, they keep, they keep turning me out for parts. But, uh, no, I would say the next thing we're going to do, it's a sport. So, I'm keeping my eye out for a set of Rubicon axles and just swap them out. You know, I'm starting to see the, it's a 18 JL, so I'm starting to see those a little bit more. So, Eventually, I'll just find a set of uh, Rubicon takeoffs and just slide them under. That's how it's done. That way, the lockers and everything is already in there. Just got to wire it up, bolt everything in. Yeah, and really, I mean, I was you know uh, talking about the benefit of takeoffs earlier in uh, uh, in Tech Talk, and and right here, here's another prime example of where you could save a massive amount of money just going with the takeoffs from another vehicle, another Jeeper who is upgraded in a different way. And is selling off some other stuff that, as far as you're concerned, is going to be an upgrade for your fill-in-the-blank, drivetrain, suspension, steering, whatever, what have you. So, glad to hear it, Larry. Glad to hear you've got a pretty good uh, uh, you know, direction and, and, and you know what you want to go. Have you been pricing things out through you know, uh, eBay or, or, or Craigslist or your local junkyards? I mean, is there, is, is, do you kind of know what you're going to be looking at as far as a cost for this? So, it looks like it's around the three to five range. Them, you know, depending on where, so that's what it's looking like. And then 
you know, when we started looking for these a year ago, they weren't even, they weren't even thinkable. No. They weren't out there. Yeah. You know, we all can't afford the, you know, 60, 80, you know, front and rear ends. But, so, yeah. you know, for a good set of Dana 44 takeoffs, 23 and 5, somewhere in there. So let me ask you this, kind of a follow-up question to that. Would you be willing to drive across state lines to get the deal? Oh, I, I figured I would have to be towing something to go pick them up. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, what about uh, Tony? We're gonna we're gonna step into our into our co-host right now and and find out where the uh, the weak link is in 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 oh. the the actual host Jeep. You have to ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm I'm hoping for a different answer than what I'm expecting. Well, let's see. I got the long arms on. I, I actually have an honest to god belly pan on my uh, my Jeep now. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, I've got the, uh, oh, you know, I always forget the name. What are those, uh, those, those coil, uh, bucket, not buckets, but the coil thing that, uh, Oh, the, uh, AC, uh, ACOs, uh, adjustable yeah. coil over spacers. Exactly. got those on there. Uh, so it's, it's sitting nice and level. Actually, it might be a little taller in the front. Uh, I really can't think of anything offhand. I, I started to post just to piss people off. I started to post on, uh, uh, the Jeep talk show, uh, Facebook uh, page about, I'm pretty much done with the modifications on my Jeep. Any any ideas for additional <laughs> things that I can do? Yeah, because you know, you know, Jeep is never done. But obviously, yeah. I, I need. I got all this stuff in there, and uh, the the uh, the Atlas is even clocked about as high as it can get. I got this great ground clearance, these long arms, all kinds of stuff. Uh, I, I I probably but no air horn. Yeah, I probably no do horn. need to look into <laughs> uh, getting some uh, uh, slim, limiting straps. Uh, but I, I, but there's a lot of work I have to do there to see how far it's going to drop. Uh, is my or my shocks going to be my limiting factor? Because I don't want to, I don't want to break shocks having having them drop. But of course, when you're at the mall, you really don't have to worry about breaking shocks, right? <laughs> so then, so, and, and the point is getting off road. I, I, I got to get off road now. It's it, I went off road last year, and it was in the 60s and 70s, uh, 70 degrees outside, and I made a four-hour trip up around Dallas, up there and back, no problem. So it worked out really, really great for that. It was great getting off-road, uh, but I'd like to be able to go off-road whenever I want to, whether it's summertime or yeah. uh, or wintertime. So I need to focus on uh, getting the, the temps, the, the, the coolant, engine coolant temperatures, down so that it doesn't matter if it's 90 degrees or 100 degrees outside i can still go off road i'd love to get up to hidden falls wolf caves all in central texas and uh and, and drive around with all these modifications i've made i've been making modifications for years so i'm looking at two things i'm, I'm revisiting the idea of putting the oil cooler the engine oil cooler back uh not, i shouldn't say back but i'm revisiting putting the oil cooler on the on the jeep to try to uh, cool the oil and mm-hmm. indirectly cooling the um, if if it, the oil is cooler now the the water jackets should be a little cooler. I think I've read that you can you can get a a ten maybe a ten degree maybe fifteen degree difference in the coolant temperature if your if your oil is cooler. And uh, I bought some and this is I understand the the idea behind this but it's just a test. I bought some. Um, gardening uh, edging you know what i'm talking about that plastic yeah. stuff yeah to build a air dam on the front of my jeep because hmm. i've been doing some some investigating and i th- i think that i if i can get a, a uh get the pressure a high pressure at the bottom 
of the Jeep, it's going to be more likely for the lower pressure to, to go through the radiator. So, well, um, I know that we've we've definitely addressed the topic of aerodynamics mm-hmm. in your in your heating issues uh, in in the past. Uh, talking about your custom bumper, it's completely one off design. Uh, you've got you know winch up there, lights, uh, you know uh, uh, some you know pre runner bars, you know that that sort of stuff. There's there's things in the way, as it were, but that's that's not the end all be all of of you know Jeep cooling. Uh, there's a lot of other things that go in, and I think that we even had uh, had discovered or had talked about the possibility of a catalytic converter. Uh, being a uh, a big contributor to your engine temps, not the engine not being able to uh, to uh, breathe out as easy as it should, right. and with all of that uh, excess of back pressure, the engine is having to work harder to try and and breathe out, uh, and and that's why you were experiencing a lot of uh, uh, overheating on the freeway and not um, um, on on the well, you know just the surface streets. Last year, I uh, replaced the catalytic converter because it was rattling. And I saw a dr- drastic change uh, last, uh, not this past summer, but the summer a year ago in the, uh, on the highway temps. But it mm-hmm. resurfaced this summer. Um, it's not horrible, but if it gets up to 230 degrees on the freeway, that's, that's too high for me. So uh, I replaced the, the catalytic converter again, even though the, the other one was only about a year, year and a half old. And I went ahead and replaced the the tailpipe, uh, you know, from the cat all the way back, uh, including a, mm-hmm. new, a new muffler, and it didn't make any change. So that's why I'm at where I'm at now. Is the exhaust system is is virtually uh, it, it it may be a year and a half old. I mean, from the the header all the way back. Um, it's so strange seeing a nice uh, a shiny, uh, or at least not uh, not like chrome, but shiny tailpipe sticking out of the back of the Cherokee. I haven't seen that oh, yeah. in a number of years. But anyway, yeah, so I'm looking at air dam and uh, uh, engine oil cooling. And because I really, this, this Jeep is a lot of fun to drive. Uh, it feels oh, sure. so solid now with the, the frame stiffeners uh, plug welded oh, in. Yeah. Belly and pan that now, belly pan, and, yeah. and you know that huge hunk of metal because that thing is a good uh, two and a half feet uh, wide. I mean, you know, from, from front to back. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's just, it's a joy to drive, and I got to get it out there. I got to get it off road. It's just it's so much fun when I go. Well, I think your your air dam uh, solution might be something very easy. I mean, tape measure, Testing, you know, yeah. measure twice, cut once, a couple of screws, and and out to the freeway to the next exit we go. And well, and really, I mean, you could have you could have all of your questions answered in a, in less than an hour of time and work and drive time just with this with this one experiment to find out whether or not. Changing a high pressure to low pressure uh, in the aerodynamics of the Jeep uh, will have a drastic effect on cooling or not. I mean, it's, uh, it's certainly worth the uh, worth the experience. Oh yeah, I'll say. I'll leave you with this teaser because uh, garden trimming is. I mean, if it works, it's great. But I want I don't want that in the way whenever I'm off road. So this teaser is uh, a stepper motor, some. Uh, <laughs> a stepper motor. You're killing me, small. You're killing me. No, an the, air dampener, the stepper motor, and a Raspberry Pi, where you press the button no. and it goes down. The last thing you need is another Raspberry Pi in that damn Jeep. And then you press the button <laughs> and you're off road, and it it goes zzz, back up. <laughs> oh boy! So I'm thinking over here. After the first, I'm obstacle. thinking over here. <laughs> Uh, good times. Wendy, what about you guys? What, what's, what's the weak point on your guys' Jeep right now? What would you say is going to be the next point of, uh, of focus? Okay, well, first off, if you're asking me, I'm going to say there is nothing that needs to be done <laughs> on the Jeep. Of course. Oh, God. Uh-huh. The women on this show are awful brave. Listen, I, don't, I don't need a however, winch, and it's perfect. 
<laughs> yeah. However, if you ask Bill, I'm sure he'd be saying maybe shocks and somewhere down the road axles. But right now, it's actually doing pretty good where it is, and that's I'm going to leave it at that. So there we go. That's, Using that's it and good. enjoying I, it is much better than working on it. That's exactly. what it's all about, right? Now, for myself, yeah. uh, you know, after my last uh, last escapade in the rocks, um, uh, I've been working on other people's Jeeps pretty much nonstop. Uh, my Jeep wasn't oh. even at my house for a number of weeks. Uh, it's recently come back home, uh, but it's unfortunately not in the garage right now because uh, the garage space is being occupied by yet another Jeep. So, um, wow. yeah, it's one of those things where I, I haven't had the chance to work on it yet. And, and, and after my last... Uh, um, getting stuck in the rocks and having to do a nasty sideways pull. Um, I, I've got some steering issues that I'm going to have to work. Oh, on. Um, you know, it's uh, did you bend the track bar? Death wobble. Oh, okay. <sighs> it's not bent. I don't think. I think because I'm running nothing but Himes on the front end. Um, that it's just the the the, the Heim joints. I've, I might have a Heim joint or two that has worn out, and having a right. lot of stress on on an axis that is not. Uh, ordinarily part of the, the shear forces uh, that are seen on a steering system, um, I likely have tweaked one of the rod ends slightly to the point of where I've got excessive play and and when I hit a pothole, I've got a little little bit of a death wobble goes back and forth, but it's gone before you know it. So, um, it, but it's there nonetheless. It wasn't there before and uh, and so now it's something that I have to address and, and take a look at. So, um, and once I get a chance to, then, then you know, I can tear into it and, and find out what's going on. And, and it's going to be one of those things where I need to call in a Jeep buddy, call in a, call in a favor or two and say, Hey, I need you to come over here and look at things or here, you know, move my steering wheel back and forth for me while I do some visual inspections and, and check some things out. So right now the weak point on my Jeep is my steering. I can't wow. thank our co-host and all of our listeners enough for this week for, for participating in, in this topic. A really good one this week. We had a lot of different answers. Uh, a lot of different uh, points of consideration here, and hopefully we're able to kind of help some people out and give, give some people some good advice. And, and hopefully this helped you, our listener, as well uh, with your own project and, and your own considerations with your own Jeep build and stuff like that. Each and every week we're doing this. We'd love to have you on the show next week for, uh, for our next topic, and who knows what that's going to be. Uh, if you want to know and find out and join in, well, be sure that you have signed up to our newsletter. It's very easy. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact, and you can find a link in the click and, and in the link there and click <laughs> on it and sign up. It's uh, And it's just as easy to unsubscribe as well. Um, and, and you're not going to get spammed. You're not going to see a bunch. It's literally once a week. It's a very small newsletter. It's all there on one page. Uh, very easy to see, and, and, uh, and it gives you a bunch of inside information. So for next week, make sure you join in on the Camp Fireside Chat and follow us on Facebook too uh, or receive notifications via our newsletter. It's all right there. It's all happening each and every week. Well, that's it for the show for this week, my fellow Jeeper. Until next week, be sure that you are finding and friending us on Facebook. It's the best way to get all the information about the Jeep Talk Show. And as always, thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep Podcast. Warning, Jeep Talk Show is not meant to be played on or around. <laughs> Don't play around. <laughs> oh, I've guessing since 2010.